3: This is the show where we give you the tools, the information you need day in, day out to live a healthier, happier life. Today's no exception. We will be talking about your first bite, how you learned to eat what you eat.
0: Like the type of food? Everything. Because eating is, you know, plate to mouth. Yeah, well, Kind you of a think, simple process, right?
3: But what do you eat? Why do you eat that? It Why does, do you prefer that? It, what constitutes full? Okay. When you're full, do you have to, like, be bloated and, like, tons of pressure in your gut and you have to loosen your belt? Does that mean you're full? Or is full, Ah, uh, like, my wife has a complete definition, different than mine, of when she's full. She's still a little hungry.
0: Yeah. You're but, supposed
3: to keep yourself kind of wanting yeah. a little more but not right. completely my definition of full, based on my upbringing, full is when you start getting stretch marks. <laughs> eat, that
0: until, eat until you see the table. Is that what it
3: is? Eat until you feel a burn in your skin, and your belly's a stretching. <laughs> That's a good morning thought for you. Yeah. Hey, today, by the way, whipped cream day.
0: Yes, I saw that. Oh,
3: manna from heaven. That, I'm sure our guest B Wilson, who wrote the book First Bite: How We Learn to Eat, she's probably not going to like that she's coming on on whipped cream day. Probably not. She'll go.
0: Uh, oh, okay. She's all healthy. <laughs> so when you have the the spray can of whipped cream in the fridge, yeah. Do you just oh. pull it out and mm-hmm. take a shot, put it yeah. away? Okay, me too. Yeah, my wife doesn't approve. But you got my kids were
3: doing it because they saw me doing it, and then but they didn't. You got to tip the bottle. Yes. Or all you get is gas.
0: Yeah. You have to make sure you, yeah. So I just created a where, bunch of puffers. Where do you stand on spray cheese? Oh,
3: I used to love it. Now it makes me like, right when you said that, I got a little nauseous. Why is that? I don't know. I think I overdid it. Okay.
0: A little is is yeah. is more yeah. in that situation. Also, don't think about what it is. Well, yeah. Because it's really not spray. It's, and not, it's cheese. not cheese.
3: <laughs> There's nothing cheesy about it. and There's it's nothing a spray. Laboratory about it.
0: experiment that came out with something yeah. that works on crackers. So. I think it, it was a great World War II discovery. So I, I'm a fan of spray cheese, but my wife, uh, she's no. an anti-cheese. Yeah, so that does not happen. Cheese. Yeah, I, I used to love it. There's shaming that happens if that would enter my home, and I don't know if I could withstand her. Shame. I know you
3: guys are getting all healthy.
0: I, I, this is the year <laughs> I've decided
3: to get healthy. How are you going to do that? I am the healthiest human ever known to man. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Trump. Uh, I don't know how I'm going to do it. Okay. Well, well that's a good plan. One of the problems is I haven't It like you made a resolution. I used to walk a lot. I used to walk a lot, and I'm not walking. It's like 20
0: degrees outside.
3: I played basketball this last week, and I pulled. Everything? A lot of muscles I didn't know I had. <laughs> man, I pulled them. I still feel it. So I don't know what I'm going to do. Hmm. But it is whipped cream day. Happy whipped cream day. We're talking food today. By the way, when you think of your food, your favorite food, favorite food, if you could have one meal, what's your
0: meal? Tacos. Really? Yes. doesn't really matter what kind of tacos. It's just the whole concept of... In a shell or in like a- Like a hard shell taco? I don't really like the hard shell. They tend to just disintegrate on me.
3: You like to so load it the, up.
0: more of the soft shell, but loaded, yeah.
3: Do you put, what do you put in it that makes it so, mm?
0: Doesn't really matter. Have you it ever could put be, ranch dressing on a taco? Yeah. Holy cow. We'll do the fish Jeez. tacos, pork, beef, Ooh, chicken. A
3: good fish taco. You can't beat that. Yeah. Mm. Benny, what's your favorite meal? You got one meal. A chipotle burrito. With E. coli or without?
1: Um, maybe a little bit sprinkled in there.
3: <laughs> a little E. coli poisoning. Yeah. Really? A Chipotle burrito. Look at you're both going Mexican food.
0: Hmm. It's good stuff. I go. I'd go with a pasta. A Pasta.
3: Like a mac and cheese, like a homemade mac and cheese. All right.
0: Ah. Uh, New Year's Eve, my wife and I every year. A big like cookie sheet mm-hmm. filled with chicken chipotle nachos.
3: Ooh, that's nice.
0: And you just sort of you know pick at it throughout the evening. And well, so great. think
3: of this through. So why do you choose these foods? There's some reason, and it's probably how you were raised. Yeah, or cultural. It's something you've
0: learned. You've like, learned to eat the way you eat. I tend to stay away from fish because I never had it growing yeah. up. Now I'll eat fish. But if it's given as an option, eh, I don't want to go there.
3: Well, it seems like a lot of people that
0: live in the middle of the United States, not big fish eaters. Now that's part of it. Yeah. Because any fish you get has been shipped in here somehow. Right. How long has it been out of the ocean? What is fresh? Yeah, you know, as like they right. call them fresh fish. It's <laughs> <was> like, really? <laughs> that's fresh fish. We're how, many, how many thousand miles from a, an ocean? Okay, Ugh. great. It's fresh.
3: Do you, do you, if you had to choose, sweet or salty for your snack, do you go sweet, like candy, or do you go chips, salty? I
0: kind of like salty.
3: I like salty. Ben?
0: I go sweet, yeah. generally. Of course you do. I'll Always figure. opposite of It's a the... character flaw, but that's okay.
3: Whatever. <laughs> and you make ice cream. When you make ice cream, your favorite ice cream, savory, which is very rare, or sweet?
1: Probably sweet. See? Yeah. yeah he go. does
3: make a savory balsamic vinegar ice cream.
0: Really? Yeah. That's,
3: it's not a big seller. No. I,
0: I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't.
3: <laughs> but I'm dying to try it. And whenever you want to bring it, I'm dying to vinegar try it. Vinegar ice cream. Mm. Yuck. Hey, uh, so we'll be talking about that. Also, uh, speaking of, you know, dangerous food items, uh, President Obama's got a new gun law coming
0: out. He does. He's
3: announcing it today. He is. changing the world. Finally, it's
0: something. Some people going nuts, other people saying it's not enough. But he can only go so far because...
3: Well, everybody's going to get entrenched, right? They're all going to fall back and get entrenched in their views of pro-gun, anti-gun. But it's not a huge change,
0: right? Not really. And and some of the things he's trying to propose are uh, kind of common sense. And actually... You look at polling, and and you'll see like sixty percent of the country's like, yeah, no problem, this works, this well, yeah. makes sense.
3: Well, it's like eighty percent of people are 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 okay with more stringent gun background checks. Who wouldn't be? Like that's safe, right? Yeah. Except certain people don't. They think that's the first step to controlling guns.
0: It's the slippery slope. I'm like, oh, okay. well,
3: okay, but then let's just build a wall after the first step, so they can't get to the second step. But. Yeah. I mean, we could have stricter And we do. It's background called
0: a constitutional amendment.
3: And then here's the problem.
0: In the end, I don't think in the end, this won't change No. much. And President Obama said that yesterday at a press yeah. conference. He said this isn't going to end gun violence, but it may save some lives.
3: And, and and it probably will because the majority of guns are and deaths are being used in suicides, right? So right. it might help there. But in the end we got bigger problems than just the background check. We've got mental health issues. We've got availability of guns. We've got, got a lot of problems. But Absolutely. anyway, it's I don't know. I like that it's a step. It's something. But it's also ticking everyone off because it's another order, right? It's yeah. another what are they called, executive order, which right. he also needs funding from government. So that's how they're going to create a big chaos
0: down the road for sure. the next president. Someone will try to shut down the government <laughs> over this. It will be fine.
3: Interesting stuff. Okay, well, we'll get to that. But before we do, let's get to the headlines, find out what else is going on around the world. Terry?
0: Thanks, Matt. The leader of the armed group that took over a federal wildlife refuge building in Oregon on Saturday said his group, now called the Citizens for Constitutional Freedom, they have a new name, won't leave until the federal government removes its unconstitutional presence here in the county. We have a lot of work to be able to unwind the unconstitutional land transactions that have taken place here. Ammon Bundy, the son of... Uh, anti-government Nevada rancher Clive and Bundy said in a news conference Monday the FBI said in a statement it was seeking a peaceful resolution to the situation while the Obama administration officials said. US law enforcement officers had been told to avoid a violent confrontation with the occupiers scary so they're not not going to engage but I, that's the thing the thing is they're
3: just gonna wait them out What's gonna happen is in about four years this thing's gonna go down yeah it's gonna get
0: crazy if they just turn off the power it should. <laughs> Kind of even itself out. Uh, new details have emerged about President Barack Obama's impending executive action meant to curb gun violence, including an expansion of background checks for people purchasing from dealers that sell a large numbers. I have just received back a report from Attorney General Lynch, Director Call me as well as Deputy Director Brandon about some of the ideas and initiatives that uh, they think can make a difference. The good news is is that these are not only recommendations that are well within my legal authority and the executive branch, but uh, they're also ones that the overwhelming majority of the American people, including gun owners, uh, support and believe in. The White House says that under Obama's plan, which is expected to be announced this morning, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms and Explosives will need to contact gun salesmen to inform them of new standards for determining who constitutes a regulated dealer using factors such as whether the owner has a business card, uses a website, and sells guns in their original packaging. These clarifications are for the most part meant for online gun sales in which proprietors often avoid background checks, the White House says. After meeting with uh, Attorney General Loretta Lynch on Monday, Obama was confident that his cons- his order will be constitutional.
3: Uh, so this has nothing to do with the gun dealer on the street who's chiseling off the no, no. identification
0: numbers. No. That, so guy, that, that guy's breaking the law. He'll... <laughs> continue to try to break the law it's the people just wanted to make sure yeah we i wanted to know but it's you go to gun shows and there's different rules and they're trying to close some of these these sure that's the last
3: thing you need is a terrorist going to a gun show yeah which would be a very awkward let's not
0: let's not make the legal practice really simple for someone who shouldn't have a gun many republican presidential candidates spoke about about the quote excessive actions here is senator ted cruz well, he can abuse his power
1: all he wants. He has a phone and he has a pen. But if you live by the pen, you die by the pen. And my pen has got an eraser.
0: Can you erase? Hold, hold ink? It.
3: What? What's? <laughs> yeah, hold it. You're gonna die by a pen. That's
0: what he said. If you live by the pen, you die by the pen. But Ted Cruz pen got an eraser. <laughs> has an eraser. i an eraser. I. It's one of them big pens, them erasable pens. And they, they don't work too well. No as you erase it kind of it still leaves some of the know. impression there, so I don't know it's hard. it's hard to mix metaphors. Yeah. It's hard sometimes. <laughs> I thought the, the, just the emotion of that was kind of <laughs> interesting. After a reporter from a local New Hampshire paper asked Hillary Clinton about her about extraterrestrials, she said, "I think we may have been visited already." We don't know for sure, Clinton told the Conway Daily Sun. She would look. She said that she would look into Area 51 if she does win election, even though they haven't really been using that for any sort of secret testing like that. They we don't. will be going to Roswell, Yeah, finding out what's going on in Roswell. Hillary also said jokingly that she would get to the bottom of UFOs. The reporter said that he spoke to Clinton about aliens in 07 when Clinton reportedly told him the top open records request her husband received at his library, involved UFOs. People hmm. wanted to know what President Clinton knew about UFOs and all that. So Jimmy Kimmel, Jimmy Kimmel interviewed President Clinton in 2014 about aliens, and Clinton promised Bill Clinton promised that he would have announced the existence of aliens if he would have known about it in his time in office. Well, who wouldn't? Well, that's a big announcement. Right. That's huge. Plus, oh, wow. And uh, the seventh row of the periodic table of elements is now complete. When you were in school, Matt, did you have to memorize the periodic table? I did, but I don't remember it. Just a bunch of letters. I skipped that class. That's, that was chemistry. And uh, yeah. I didn't that, that, they're anything. science. We don't like them sciences. I, I realized my limitations didn't go that direction. Four as, four as of yet unnamed chemical elements labeled 113, 115, 117, and 118 mark the first additions to the table since wow. 2011. Cool. The elements, which are classified as super heavy because they have more than 104 protons, were officially acknowledged by the U.S.-based International Union of Pure and Applied Chemistry. Mm-hmm. Undec- yeah, I know. <laughs> this is to scientists, this is of great value uh, than an Olympic – a greater value than an Olympic gold medal. Really? But it's heavier because it's more, 118 protons. Now the fight is what is going to be 119, the next element to be ah. – eh. Let's just wait and see. I love the anticipation of not knowing what so the next element a bu- will A bunch be. of junior high school kids are like, oh, there's more to memorize? Come on.
3: Oh, see, that's – I'm so glad that there's people that can do that like Ben anything. That's great. That's great. The rest of us, we just do radio. (laughs) We're here to be taught. Hello. We can't know everything. Hey, uh, we've got a great guest coming up. In just a few minutes, um, we will be joined by B. Wilson, who's the author of the book, First Bite, How We Learn to Eat. And we're going to be discussing basically the culture of foods and how you eat and how you learn to eat and, and why that drives even how you eat today. How you feel full what you think is a meal what constitutes healthy or not it's very interesting um, work that she's done and I think it might uh, help you explore maybe some of your new year's resolutions around food around health around healthier eating Uh, she's very open-minded and very I I think uh, going to add a lot to our discussion about our eating practices stick with us folks this is the Matt Townsend show helping you live longer and uh, and hopefully eat healthier stick with us we'll be right back Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, with the holiday season wrapping up and the start of the new year underway, many people are looking to improve their health. Gyms are flooded and diets will begin. And, you know, whether it's chocolates, eggnog, cookies, potatoes loaded with cream or ham, you know, we've we've probably overindulged over this last uh, few weeks. But you may have also noticed that you have certain preferences around the holidays, maybe especially Certain things that seem to make the holidays and, and your holiday food homey and make you feel safe. Well, B. Wilson is joining us. She is a British food writer uh, who wrote, she's written five books or so, and uh, recently has a book out called First Bite, How We Learn to Eat. It explores how our tastes and are formed and these decisions follow us through our entire life. B uses extensive research to show us how learning to eat better isn't easy, but it is possible. B Wilson, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show.
4: Hi, thank you for having me.
3: You bet, honored to have you. And I, I just was fascinated with this whole idea of yours this this um, this idea of food. It really, it goes back to just our first couple of years of eating. Is that right? Is that your premise?
4: That is my premise, that so much of what we think of as these innate preferences that we have, I mean, our likes and dislikes, they're very intimate, aren't they? Yeah, they are. If we're making new friends, we often broadcast to them what our tastes are and we're very excited when we discover another person that loves licorice or hates cilantro because we think it's some deep and meaningful part of our essence. But actually, the evidence shows that the vast majority of our tastes are formed by experience, they're formed by memories. But the trouble is we don't actually have any sort of conscious awareness of most of those memories because they're formed so early on. Some of them, even before we're born, there have been these extraordinary experiments done showing that depending on what a pregnant woman eats, her amniotic fluid will actually taste different. Wow. Somebody who eats a lot of garlic. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. A more right, garlicky mother
3: thought. or a more cilantro. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, and
4: you're going to be born thinking that garlic tastes like home.
3: Ah. I mean, and how, think of that. Like, that is, nothing is more innate than the womb. <laughs> what, the, yeah. the, 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 the flavors inside of, man, that's amazing to me. But but it also it makes amazing. total sense, doesn't it? And then all of a sudden, why sharing a really good meal with somebody could be, become something very comfortable and, and uniting and bonding.
4: Yes, exactly. And one of the ways, it's much easier to learn new tastes when you're a child than when you're an adult. I think that's one of the big themes of my book. To start with, I thought I was writing about children's food and how children learn to eat. And the more I delved into it, the more I saw, well, the same problems are there for us as adults. And in a way... It's even harder for us to change because we don't have the same kind of motivation. We don't have parents standing over us saying, eat your greens. Although actually, as it turns out, that's a not a very good strategy in it. Back right. um, but you're right. This thing of sharing a meal, positive associations, one of the ways you change. If you fall in love with someone who eats in a completely different way from you, then suddenly you've got a motivation to change your habits. Hmm. And the problem for lots of us is we just get so set in our ways and our habits and every meal that we have reinforces those preferences. We continue to reject the foods we don't like. We continue to tell ourselves we could never love healthy foods as much as those kind of holiday comfort foods that you mentioned at the beginning. Yeah. And then we're stuck. We become fatalistic. But actually, there's immense potential for changing the way we eat for the better
3: and we actually end up then rejecting them just because it's a habit of rejecting them right it's not even we haven't even tried it where we haven't even retested the the theory
4: often it's just the idea of something being horrible because none of us wants to put something horrible in our mouth even once and this is one of the biggest problems for for parents feeding kids because we know most of us aware as parents that the way you get a child to like something is multiple exposures. I think that idea is fairly well out there. And sometimes people will say 12 exposures or 15 exposures. Actually, when you look into the scientific literature, it depends. And you can get into a kind of virtuous circle. Once you've taught yourself to learn a number of foods, then it's not going to take as many exposures. But how do you expose a child to broccoli even once when their first response is to spit it out or (laughs) gag or (laughs) any of the other charming responses? And as a parent, you're desperate to see your children happy. You want them to smile. You want to give them the foods they love. And that becomes self-reinforcing. But one of the amazing things I discovered, there's been a lot of um, quite pioneering studies done in just the past 10 years, both by clinicians working helping kids often on the autistic spectrum have quite profound feeding difficulties to get beyond those but there have also been researchers who are doing academic studies which have confirmed this if you can expose the child to the new taste in a tiny tiny piece as small as a pea or even a grain of rice almost any child will be persuaded to put that in their mouth Hmm. And you can then do it multiple times. I've done it with my own third child, who was by far my fussiest eater. And I was amazed to discover you know, tiny, tiny piece of eggplant or cabbage or whatever the food might be. And it's not so scary. Yeah. Put it in your mouth. It, by about day three or four, he was begging for it in larger pieces because he said, I can't really taste it.
3: Oh, how how interesting. And that's a big part of what you're talking about, though, is it's really the taste that they need to get used to. It's the it's the flavor.
4: Exactly. It's becoming familiar. I mean, it's not just taste. You could also apply this question of familiarity to use things like hunger and fullness. Um, that's for lots of us. That's our biggest problem. I know looking back on myself, one of my starting points in this book was that As a teenager and a young adult, I had a really unhappy relationship with food. I was a compulsive eater, was partly a response to living with my sister, who was anorexic. And my biggest problem, I was always quite omnivorous, um, but I didn't know when to stop. I Hmm. couldn't stop. Food for me was love. I wanted to keep eating. And so I think the issues around hunger are similar, that to start with, creating a longer gap between meals Feels really scary. It sends you into a panic mode. But then, over time, once you acclimatise yourself to waiting a bit longer for lunch, you actually start to enjoy it, and that becomes just as familiar as a new taste can become.
3: Wow. So it, it is taste, but it's also it's the sense of hunger, and I guess the and connection. I mean, one thing I see is my family's a very kind of social eating family. Every time we have an event. There's always food, and then the food is there, and then we always gather around it and just keep engorging. Mm. You know what I mean? It's It's like a – but but it's constantly there, and it's constantly social.
4: Yeah. Well, that's a wonderful thing, isn't it? I mean, to eat together and to share food is one of the great joys in life. But it then can be very hard to stop, Mm and I think one of the ways in which our eating collectively and individually has gone wrong in the modern world is that – So many foods, which were celebration foods, which were reserved for really special occasions, are now omnipresent. We can eat them whenever we like. Things like birthday cake, you now get birthday cake flavoured ice cream. You can eat that any day of the week. And suddenly it's not special anymore, for one thing. And for another thing, it means we're eating way too much of these foods.
3: And it's also like you mentioned in your article about um this is something that can change like like Japan itself they haven 't always been a fish based healthy kind of eating culture. Their culture changed with the i guess the advent of a refrigerator that that changed their their meals
4: absolutely Japan went through these profound changes in the way. Um, that they eat, and I think I wanted to use the example of Japan. I was stunned by this when I found this out because I had always somehow assumed that the Japanese just innately yeah. knew how to eat well. And if you look at Japan, they're almost unique in the world in having low obesity levels without also having high levels of famine. They have an amazingly pleasurable attitude to food. They sing songs to sushi. There are theme parks to noodles. <laughs> they just seem to have this perfect relationship with food and. I would have looked at Japan and felt envious and thought, well, they're Japan, there's nothing that I can do to become like that. But no, if you look at the history of Japanese food, they've only eaten in this wonderful way with fish and seaweed and all the rest of it for a really short period of time. For centuries, they were known as having a much worse cuisine than that of China or Korea. Um, And it was a series of social and economic accidents and changes that enabled them to have this wonderful way of eating, so I would look at Japan and think there's hope for us all. You, whole nations can change their relationship with food, and individuals certainly can. It's just—it's not easy.
3: No, but but I guess I guess that's an important learning here. Is it's not just inherent. This is something that we learn culturally, and it's something that we could instill in our families. My father-in-law, for example, went and served um, in Samoa as a medical advisor um, to run one of their hospitals. He did it kind of for a, a church mission, a church service. And when he got there, he was a cardiologist and had only eaten healthy his entire life because of being a cardiologist. But he he saw this entire this entire country, this entire island whose diet was literally killing people at the age of sixty-five was their life expectancy, was sixty. And but it was so white. It was such a white diet with rice and taro root, very carb-rich, but not healthy. And um, he just it, he realized that he could be the best cardiologist, create a great medical unit, but mm. the culture and the diet you couldn't change very easily.
4: Exactly, and we're almost getting at that point now, aren't we? With the diet of yeah, the best with the absolutely. U.S. the U.K., where it doesn't really matter what medical care you have if you're eating such a bad diet and I think it's, it's really sad because it starts so early for so many people if, you, if you're a child and you've grown up with really poor taste then it's hard ever to make the good choices right. but it is possible to relearn. I mean, I think one of the biggest forms of hope would come from adjusting the education system to make it more focused on, you know, we talk so much about learning how to cook, but actually the fundamental skill is learning how to eat. Um, and in Finland, they've done this. They noticed 10 years ago that they had terrible rates of child obesity compared to their neighbours in the rest of Scandinavia. And they decided to do something about it. And they changed their whole preschool system to have this wonderful sensory system of learning about food, not through lectures on healthy eating, which only backfire and make people dislike food even more, but sensory exploration of food, learning through play, talking about sweet foods and sour foods and tasting different kinds of berries. Um, And this might sound quite touchy-feely, but it's already had some really hard-nosed signs of improvement in child obesity rates and of... Children going mm. back to their parents and saying, can we buy these new vegetables? We tasted them. We really like them.
3: I love that. And, and it's, it's now it's intrinsic. Now these kids have tasted the berry. They're craving the berry. They want the berry instead of a parent saying, eat your berries,
4: Exactly, which doesn't I mean, work. That's the wonderful thing. Once you have these, I would see them as eating skills. Once you have them, they kind of work as a life jacket that protects you, even in this obesogenic world we all now live in Mm. um that's the wonderful thing you then would just go into a supermarket with its vast array of unwholesome foods and just think well i'm going to ignore that entire aisle because it doesn't appeal to me anymore
3: isn't it funny too at the store though you always have ladies in hair nets that are giving you samples but they're samples probably of foods that aren't as healthy we don't ever have anyone in the vegetable aisle giving samples no like, how beautiful would it be to have somebody that has cooked asparagus in such a, a beautiful way that the children want to run up and get a second, you know, tasting of asparagus?
4: Exactly. And that could happen. Yeah. I mean, in a few years' time, who knows? I mean, often it's just lots of little small adjustments of that set a light bulb off in someone's mind and you think, yes, there is a different way of eating. I love but it. Once you've switched over, it's, it's become second nature to you. It's not... We talk so much about willpower, but it's not really willpower that makes us eat well or not. It's about enjoying different foods.
3: Yeah, it's having it's having acquired the taste or the skills, like you said, the eating skills, to know how to how to try new things. Um we're speaking with B Wilson. She holds a PhD from Trinity College at Cambridge in and lives in Cambridge, England and uh we're going to take a break, come back, continue this discussion of her book First Bite: How We Learn to Eat and you can find out more about her by going to her website considerthefork.com. It's a wonderful blog um just great insight and and tools that I that I think can help. Uh we'll take a break, come back More with B. Wilson when we come back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Do you have a favorite food? You know? Do you, pr- you prefer? Like, I can't stand cilantro. Don't know why. It just, it does me wrong. And I'm going to bet it's because my mama overdosed on it when I was younger. No, I don't know. I, I don't like it. Can't have it in my my uh, food, but love garlic. Holy cow. Maybe it's something I learned as a child. Possibly. Well, according to our guest, B. Wilson, author of the book First Bite, How We Learn to Eat, uh, there's a lot of kind of cultural and just, how do you even put it? Just family-oriented learning, experiencing, tasting from a child from in utero on all of these things impact our love of food and our our sense of f- feeling hunger and understanding life uh, when it comes to food. We welcome you back, B. Wilson. Uh, thanks for being with us. This is such an interesting topic for me.
4: Well, thanks for having me. The cilantro thing is interesting because so many people have that. Do they? And actually, yeah, it turns out. I mean, there is a chemical reason. Certain people have do have. You know, I've been emphasising the ways in which our taste is not innate. Right. There are some, obviously, different genes that we all bring to the experience of eating. And cilantro is a case in point. To some people, it just reacts in a certain way in their mouth hmm. and it does taste soapy and kind of gross. Yeah. And you might be one of those people. You probably still could overcome it with tiny tastes, but the question is, do you need to? You can probably live a life without cilantro. Yeah. Unless you have any plans to move to Mexico.
3: <laughs> exactly. But another one, another example is sushi. Uh, it's amazing to me how many people have never tried sushi but would never try it. They're not going to go near it because it's just, I don't eat raw fish. But it, It's just it's, a
4: concept, but it is broken down. I think there are fewer people that feel like that.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: And to me, that also again, shows the power of social conditioning. I mean, one of the things we know both as adults and as kids, if you can see enough other people, particularly people that you love and respect, putting a feared or new food in their mouth and surviving and even enjoying it, then even before you've tasted it yourself, you've got these positive associations. Yeah. Whereas the problem is so often it works in the opposite direction. Before a kid has even... Tasted their first bite of something like beets or spinach, they likely know. Oh, kids aren't meant to like this stuff. You know, kids in America are not expected to enjoy these strong-tasting vegetables, so I'm probably not going to like it. And then we're, obviously, that's going to condition your
3: response. do we do they get that from us? Do they get that from us, like uh, overtly saying, "Well, eat them; they're good for you," or do they get that idea from us because? we can't believe they're going to try it, you know, or we give That's it to great. them hesitatingly. I mean,
4: there's a huge amount of social transmission that goes on with food. So we just offer food in a different way depending on whether we think it's a treat or not. Hmm. And if you imagine when we start talking about things like candy and chocolate bars, we offer it to a child in a completely different tone of voice. It's like, here, here's a treat. This is something wonderful. Imagine if we spoke about broccoli like that. That's so true. How differently children might view it.
3: But if you also
4: we all we bring sorry we bring our own baggage as well, don't we? To the table as much as we try not to, our very desperation to get our own children to eat more healthily than we do, you they pick up on that as well.
3: I remember my sister. I remember vividly, probably being I don't know five, watching my seven-year-old sister uh, not want to eat her peas. And sitting at the dinner table, and my parents not letting either of us leave the table till we had eaten our peas. And my was sister, she, she was older than me, and she was smart enough to realize that she could chew them up in her mouth and then kind of spit them into her napkin. And then, and I just sat there, and I sat there all night because I didn't eat my did peas. You do
4: the same thing. I didn't. You, just, you I, weren't going to eat those. No, I was, was
3: too honest. Them. My right. my sister was, you know, she was corrupt. And she, she, she snuck the peas out in her napkin and got away. But I, I still—that's so I—I I can see now how this would create a, an imagery for me about peas. And then when I present peas Absolutely. to my kids, it's—it's it's not a treat. It's a—it's a, it's a yes. chore.
4: And if they were to eat them, that would seem slightly miraculous. Mm-hmm. Why are they swallowing these things? Just, <laughs> you'd be quite pleased because you think they're getting nutrients, but you wouldn't expect them to savor the peas.
3: Yeah. Isn't and it fascinating yeah. what you're learning? And so teach us. How do we teach? What are some ways that we can, we can uh, do this differently with our children, with our family, and make food something that's, you know, that's something that they seek after in a healthy but way? One
4: of the biggest things is just to try hard as it might be to keep an open mind. So if, once you accept the fact that basically all of our tastes as omnivores have to be learned, um, and therefore we're all capable of learning a good varied healthy set of preferences if you accept that, that your child hasn't been born loving cupcakes and hating kale then everything is wide open so I think if you can just keep persisting offering food in as happy way as you can not to think wow they're not gonna like carrots because I never like carrots not to think oh they've inherited my addiction to mm. cake or whatever it might be That's a huge start, just to think they're their own person, it's all fresh, they can like anything. Hmm. That's the biggest thing. And then the second thing I would say is this tiny tastes idea that I've already mentioned. It sounds almost too simple to be true, but it's amazing. It just can change the whole conversation around food. I know it did in my house, where suddenly once the child knows that you're not expecting them, the first go to eat a whole plate of cauliflower of course that's a daunting prospect especially if you don't like it but just a tiny taste and then the next day another tiny taste before long if you do this with enough foods the child themselves will see that they have this amazing tool that they can use at any stage of life if there's a new food that they want to experiment and learn how to like it they know they can do it for themselves Mm. um And really putting people back in control of their own exploring their own tastes is the most powerful thing you can do because we know that the way that you start to like stuff is through exposure but it only works when the exposure is positive so another thing i would say all of these old-fashioned ideas clean your plate um you finish every bite on your plate these were designed for a completely different food environment when people were worried about famine and scarcity that's not our problem now. Right. So, much as we might hate food waste, um, we just have to abandon the idea that your aim is to get a child to finish everything on the plate, even if, as is the case is you're describing in your childhood, the child is tearful and unhappy. <laughs> what is that actually achieving? We're losing sight of the bigger picture. Yeah. The bigger picture is you want your child to enjoy a range of wholesome foods as you're. Know, Lots of foods. I mean, also we shouldn't be moralizing and giving them a sense that cake and chocolate are forbidden fruit. It's all just food.
3: Mm. It's so powerful too. Uh, this tiny taste idea could become a game in the family. We all try everything, and we don't have to get. We don't have to have a plate full of it. We can just try something. But how fun if every day you were introducing something new, or every other day something new, some new taste to your children. I mean. Exactly. Powerful. I see I think because adults can
4: do it. that too. I mean, this is the month of resolutions. In January, so many people, adults are giving stuff up, denying themselves their comforts. And if instead you said, every month this year, I'm going to adopt a new vegetable, try a new salad, something like that, it just becomes like something that you're playing around hmm. with that's fun. And there's way more chance that you'll actually sustain that habit than all of the ones that we do, which kind of punish
3: ourselves. And, and I, I guess it's all senses, right? It's taste, but it's also smell. I mean, I know you've, I mean, this whole idea of um, smelling the coffee, you wrote an article on that. I know that coffee for me, uh, I don't drink coffee, my family, we don't drink coffee, but my parents did. Um, and it's it really has an interesting place in my psyche and in my life. And um, But just a smell can also create a smell of foods can also create a sense of home and closeness
4: absolutely. Um, I mean actually, most of what we think of as flavor
3: is, is smell smell
4: almost all of it is happening in the nose. The only things that are happening on the tongue is just those basic sweet, sour, salty bitter hmm. it hits, but everything which is you know, this taste of coffee or as opposed to the taste of tea or butter or whatever it might be that's happening in the nose so for me too I mean I do drink a lot of coffee but I know what you mean about the scent being evocative because I remember going with my mother when she was buying coffee and that feeling of she would get it ground especially in the shop and then just holding this warm bag Hmm. of ground coffee and just putting it to my nose and yeah it's it triggers something and it triggered something in the brain. There was an amazing experiment done um, with French Algerians who had grown up um, smelling mint tea every day because it's such a big part of their lives. And they did this study with European French subjects who had no memories of mint tea and the Algerian French subjects. And they got them to smell some mint. And they found that for the Algerians, the mint actually triggered a took up a larger part of memory in their brain you could actually see this huh. in neuroscans. if you imagine that being replicated for each of us you, there will be things that belong to your childhood which when you smell it your brain is just going crazy it's it's reminding you of home and your family and your sister and for a lot of us the problem is that the foods which are triggering these wonderful emotions are exactly the ones we should be eating less <laughs> right. of you so many of us Junk food is the one that is making us feel loved. Yeah, fast
3: food, right?
4: Yeah, really hard to let go of those foods because you feel you're – it's almost like a betrayal. You're kind of rejecting some part of yourself. Yeah,
3: you're you're cheating on your girlfriend by getting a vegetable instead of fast food. It's so true. Well, B, we appreciate your insight on this. Um, We've got about a minute. What would you say is the one thing that we could do – today um maybe maybe it is the t- the the tiny taste what's the one thing we could do today to change the culture of of our eating
4: i think the biggest thing would be to see that we can change once you recognize that your tastes have been learned well they can be relearned and that to me changes everything
3: hmm. yeah just see that it's it's changeable it's a choice it's not Even just inherent yeah, yeah. Wow. B. Wilson, we appreciate you. I suggest to everybody to go go check out the, the website considerthefork.com and the book First Bite, How We Learn to Eat. She also has other wonderful books that have been a part of my wife's uh, book group as well. So you, you've made big time, B. Um, well, we appreciate uh, her being with us. We're going to take a break, folks. Come back, wrap up this first hour of the Matt Townsend Show. Isn't that amazing? Just... What we hold so dear, what we think is so, you know, immovable, unchangeable, your own taste, your own love of food, it's changeable. It can grow. We'll take a break. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, Great story when we're on the topic of food about a three-year-old boy who's getting his name changed to popcorn legally after his parents said he refuses to be known as anything else. Diesel Roberts, already an unusual name, by the way, hardly used by his parents, Hazel Williams and Hugh Roberts, so they wanted to find something that felt was more fitting for their boy According to Wells Online, popcorn seemed like the perfect choice as the couple have been referring to their son on the tree. by the uh, you know the popular cinema surprise. snack.
4: Right
3: if you haven't heard this song before, eyes, I could take an armful and make a treat. Mm. A popcorn ball that would smell This so is where I became addicted to popcorn. It, really it was so this is a song we would sing in church. Oh, yeah. I could never figure out how popcorn grew on an apricot tree as a little kid, but it didn't matter. So this boy wants to be called Popcorn, and uh, that's his thats his favorite snack, I guess they say since the womb, but I'm going to bet that's he did That's a little weird. Yeah. Pretty sure he wasn't eating popcorn in there. But apparently, according to our last guest, the taste of popcorn, maybe. All that butter... Maybe it's just the butter and salt he's addicted to, not the popcorn necessarily. Well, think about you. What are you? What are what are your traditions? What are your rituals around food? And there is something super powerful, I think, and it might be because of the smells, the tastes, that maybe it's around the food that and and around your table that you can create a better sense of culture. There's a lot of research out recently about the power of just having a meal together as a family. One of the number one tools, the number one tool we can have as a family to make sure that our children, um, you know, uh, have get better grades, stay more connected to their family, less inclined to have antisocial behavior, less inclined to um, have premarital sex, Uh, less inclined to be um, into the drug culture, all of those. Number one thing, family dinners. Spending time every day around the table. It's probably not the meal that matters as much, but it's the culture of talking every single day, checking in with your family, knowing that there's some accountability, finding out what's going on in their lives, family dinners. So if you want a tradition, if you want to maybe – create a New Year's resolution, one that I might suggest, maybe eating better. That's great. Go for it. But another one we might want to look at simply is spending some time as a family while eating dinner. Turn off the devices. Turn off the TV. Give yourself 30 minutes, 30 minutes a night, family dinner. And if you can't make dinner because everyone's out to play their sports or their music Maybe family ice cream every night. Ben loves the idea. Buy his ice cream. But uh, spend some time and and look at your moments with your family and your children around the dinner table, not just as a chore that we got to get done, but maybe as a time and opportunity to connect and to to recreate a, a sense of safety for our family. That's it, folks. First hour of the show in the can. We'll take a break. We'll be back next hour. More ideas, more tools to help you live longer, love stronger, and lead healthier lives. This is the Matt Townsend Show. you know, you get the news everywhere. Anybody can bring you the news. We like to bring you the information that you need to actually live your life, to raise your family, to to find some peace and grow and live longer and love stronger, the whole deal. That's the goal of the show.
0: Well, one thing from last hour that yeah. I was very happy to hear, cilantro. Oh, yeah. You said it tastes like soap. Yeah, I can't stand it. That's how I feel about that also.
3: If you didn't hear last hour's show, you got to go look it up on BYUradio.org because – or on iTunes or TuneIn or any of the other various ways we do this. But awesome thing about food, I didn't realize in, your, in the womb, you were already being taught certain tastes. That's crazy.
0: You're, sure, you're eating for two when you're pregnant, so.
3: Yeah. That's why you can't smoke. That's why you shouldn't do cilantro.
0: Tastes like soap. How do people eat that? I don't know. It's like you've just taken a bottle of dish soap and just <laughs> chug it. It's uh,
3: like, ugh! But I know a lot of people that love it.
0: My wife loves it, and, and we will get it on on some food. And I'm like, can you take that off? She can you take why? those go, weeds they, off? They put some plants on there. I don't need that. <laughs> and she, I go, it, it's soap-based plant life. Which is all the greenery.
3: <laughs> I don't like it. Hey, we got a great guest coming up today. Bill Roush will be joining us. Have you ever heard of uh, Got Your Six? Got Your Six? That just sounds so weird. It's a really interesting- Have you ever
0: watched like a Top Gun or some sort of military, no. Air Force mm. type? That's, you got Your Six. I'm behind you. I've got your back. Oh, you're six o'clock. You're six o'clock oh, behind you. I got you. your six. I've got your back. Come on. You need to watch more like war-based entertainment. Yeah,
3: I'm, I'm just too busy <laughs> reading about my guests. But, got your six is helping veterans tell their story, helping veterans, oh, my pizza 's ready. helping veterans um, tell their their story and helping them move forward and become healthier about i think it 's a quarter of a million vets retire every year or end their service every year and then they have to figure out what to do then what yeah. I mean I have friends that flew Apache helicopters into combat in Iraq. And they were studs blowing up tanks, and now what do you do?
0: You find a job, and And, sit and, and a it's desk. hard
3: to find an Apache job anywhere, right? Because they won't let you fly Apaches around the city. The Highway Patrol doesn't have an Apache troop. would Be cool if they did. It'd be so cool. <laughs> so what does he? I mean, he's he, so he, he's trying to find a job flying helicopters, which isn't. It's a hard job to find. Yeah. And when you're then you're not you know you're not flying down a ravine shooting at people
0: you're just sort of commuting flying around it's kind of boring it's hard but so, we're so is, talk it, veterans. is it to help them uh just kind of cope with everyday life and how to Mm -hmm. move on from that experience well and to
3: help the these veterans are their leaders these are team builders these are problem solvers these are people that have been doing it and really he the our guest is going to teach us how these veterans could be used to strengthen communities around the country but we just kind of put them out to pasture and we're not maximizing the talents of our vets these people know how to lead stuff in fact I know a colonel that just retired from the Air Guard, a female colonel that was in charge of their entire training in the state of Utah. And I'm thinking, and she's retired now. She needs to be out there.
0: We need to be using her some way. Right. We train – yeah, these people train. They develop skills. And then how do we transition that into the economy somehow? Like she'd she'd be so
3: perfect with the governor somewhere, helping the governor do something. But, you know, instead – I guess we some of them we think they're too old. Some of them we don't know about. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So we'll talk about this. Uh, got your six. That's what that is. Yeah. My six o'clock. Your six o'clock. Someone's guarding your back. It's my, you. it's my 6.30 I'm worried about. <laughs> Anywho, uh, got a great show. So we'll be talking with Bill a little bit later um, and got your six. Also, uh, watch out because new gun new gun laws coming out by President Obama. Did you hear Donald Trump's comment on this?
0: No. What did he say?
3: Uh, I came in like a wrecking ball. Mm-hmm. He said, if guns are so dangerous, Hillary Clinton, disarm your entire security team. Right. It's if guns thing. don't protect you, get rid. Of, have your security team leave their guns. Let's see how that goes. It's the same thing. It's so interesting. But that's what they always say. But, you know. There are some things that need to be fixed that can be fixed, and 80 percent of the country believes they could be fixed. Right. Like background checks. Let's do that.
0: And that works because the vast majority of people will pass a background check. That's
3: right.
0: It's the people that shouldn't be passing background checks that are able to get through some loopholes and get weapons that we can stop.
3: And like the gun shows that they don't like this because people come in to buy a gun and background checks take time. So you can't necessarily sell without a background check.
0: Or online purchases Uh or any of those where those are supposed to be easier. You put a background check in there. You have to put a hold on it. for. And and we've
3: talked about this. And again, these allows – I think they'll help. It will all help because it might just help the innocent people that that were going to commit suicide that day. That might help. But then we still have to deal with the illegal gun issue. Right. And I don't know how you do that. It's a bigger problem than I can handle, um, so we'll get into that. Also, uh, you know, what do you do when you think about it? Honestly, is there a point where you know? On the show, we're always trying to help. We're helpers. Sometimes we we. Try, what do you mean sometimes?
0: Sometimes it's yeah. It depends we, on the situation.
3: But we can't. We, we always. We always are just down on criminals. I don't know if you've watched this, but when you watch the news and you watch a show and you hear about a story about a criminal,
0: it's just always how bad they are. OK. On this show. Is it the crime they're committing that yeah. kind of paints the Usually, negativity? Usually. Yeah. OK, gotcha. But what
3: we like to do on the show is make sure that everybody understands – well, the criminals understand how they can, um, how they can be a better criminal.
0: Uh, Omaha bank robber. Tips uh, and crime from Matt's <laughs> <Hansen. laughs>
3: Helping you become a better criminal. Here's the rule, just a simple little tip. If you are going to rob a bank, make sure you understand if the door is a push door to get out or a pull door to get out.
0: So maybe enter the bank at one point before yeah. you decide to.
3: I think, what do they call that? Like scope it out, go in, yeah. scan, identify Are there, you know, velvet ropes you've got to go through? Another
0: military term, do some recon. Yeah, do some recon. Yeah, open the door. Go, okay, this is a push. Don't write the note
3: on a receipt that has your credit card number. But uh, an Omaha bank robber, a Nebraska bank robber's crime was nearly over before it began when he was unable to push his way out of a pole-only door. So for eight seconds, the robber, who I guess had committed the robbery, uh, Gun-wielding, by the way, closed-circuit television cameras on him, kept trying to push on a door that was a pull-only door. Mm-hmm. He, just, he just had to pull it. I've been there.
0: But he kept pushing it. Yeah. Don't you hate that? <laughs> oh! You just got to push it. Especially in that specific uh! one. You're trying to get away. Uh, they locked me in. <laughs> was he wearing a mask?
3: Was the mask turned sideways on? Maybe he couldn't
0: see. Who knows?
3: No, but the guy struggled for eight seconds to push his way into the unlocked door. By the way, it was a female robber Mm. who entered before the man eventually returned to the door to help him get get through this.
0: No, the other way.
3: No, 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 no. (laughs) You got to
0: pull. Okay, there you go. (laughs) Honestly. But, you know, maybe he was. maybe. Maybe the door was put on backwards. I think you should be able to pull to get in, push to get out. I agree. Maybe it was reversed and maybe he was confused.
3: But you know, in his head, he was thinking, they locked it. Yeah. They locked me in. I'm locked in. I'm locked in.
0: You but, know that moment where you then figure out, oh. <laughs> yeah, then you're like, oh, wait. Pull That would be interesting if you could um, somehow make like they have like the double doors yeah you have one set of doors and there's like a vestibule and then another some side. some do have that and then you lock lock it them in there to trap them in yeah
3: i think some do have that because i've seen in some states that people have been trapped in that space but maybe it wasn't maybe just they were pushing when they should have been pulling could have been
0: <laughs> maybe
3: funny. what you need to do is just have the signs shift so just instead of push it says pull and then
0: they're stuck see if you confuse them along uh. enough yeah anyway we're
3: here to help we're not just going to help the healthy. So we also want to help the unhealthy. Plan
0: out your crime.
3: Plan out your crime. At least identify if it's a push or a pull. Gotcha. It seems fairly simple to me. But...
0: uh We're here to help one way or another.
3: Hey, uh, let's get to the headlines. Anything going on around the world that we need to focus on, Terry?
0: Absolutely. Thanks, Matt. President Obama will announce executive actions focused on curbing gun violence, clarifying existing laws that require anyone who makes a living by selling guns, including hobbyists and collectors, register a licensed gun dealer that may perform background checks. White House officials said Monday the president will also instruct agencies to conduct more research on guns encourage more federal prosecution of domestic violence cases, and ask for funding to hire 200 law enforcement agents. The New York Times reports President Obama uh, President Obama here is talking to the reporters on Monday. Over the next several days, we'll be rolling out these initiatives. We'll be making sure that people have a very clear understanding of what can make a difference and what we can do. Although we have to be very clear that this is not going to solve every violent crime in this country. Uh, It's not going to prevent every mass shooting. Uh, It's not going to keep every gun out of the hands of a criminal. So won't solve it, but it'll help in some way to possibly save
3: lives. An interesting question is, um, because the big question is, does he have the right to do this? Does he have the legal right as this chief executive to do this executive order? And he says yes. Then the, everyone's wondering, well, why didn't you do this seven years ago? Right? You do, should have done it seven years ago. Or you should have done it after the last mass shooting. Could have. That was such a big deal. But, you know, he then said, well, we tried to get what it through was, Congress. Was
0: he? Yeah, he's trying to work with Congress instead of well, going this direction. Except and- he's
3: done 26 other orders. Sure. So he's doing what he can
0: taking steps. The ranchers who uh, legal troubles sparked the occupation of a federal building in Oregon uh, Wildlife Reserve will ask President Obama for clemency, their lawyers announced on Monday. The ranchers Dwight and Stephen Hammond, are they both reported to prison on Monday to begin a second sentence for the arson they committed, I think, in 2001. Uh, Both men are returning to prison after their sentences were ruled to have been illegal. Their sentences were like three months and four months or something like that. Now they're going to go in for several years. So, but were they retried? No. Under some 1996 terrorism act... They were found that what they did was an act of terrorism. It fell oh, under so that, like and re- so it kind of – they didn't sentence them correctly.
3: So this is the whole reason there's the standoff.
0: That's why there's the Free standoff these two men. is these two guys. But and these two men are like, we know – we're not with them. Yeah. We don't <laughs> they're, they're know. They're not speaking for us because they want – they don't yeah. want it to damage their right. – what, what their case is ongoing. So federal authorities say the Hammonds uh, set fire to cover up poaching. Oh, yeah, was like 100, were poaching deer, there was one hundred twenty seven acres that they burned uh-huh. and they said they were doing it because you know there's weeds and this we're just doing a controlled burn and they said and actually what they're being accused of is covering up poaching on federal land
3: but were they not they were burning the land but I guess there would have been poached animals all over that land and so they were
0: Killing the or burning the evidence. The hmm. father and son maintained that they were trying to eradicate evasive species and, of, of weeds and prevent wildfires. So there's hmm. the disagreement. That's why they're all up there. Republican presidential candidate Ted Cruz asked that armed protesters occupying up in Oregon uh, to stand down peaceably. NBC News reports We don't have a constitutional right to use force and violence to threaten force. And violence against others, the Texas senator told reporters in Iowa. Crew said, our prayers are with law enforcement officials dealing with the standoff which the occupiers uh, say seek to limit federal control over large swaths of land that include um, Ammon and Ryan Bundy, who are the sons of Cliven Bundy, who had a standoff outside Las Vegas. In no relation to Ted Bundy. I'm betting. I don't know. I have not read that anywhere.
3: Can we just for fun um, take a second and play ted cruz's uh quote it was clip five it was a powerful quote uh this could be your potential future president well he can abuse his
1: power all he wants he has a phone and he has a pen but if you live by the pen you die by the pen and my pen has got an eraser
0: (laughs) he was talking about president obama and his Gun control legislation. Yeah, I want to. Can we make that a hot button? Because I'm going to want to use that for we'll a while. We'll keep that around. Which part would you want? Would you want the My Pen has an eraser? You live by the pen, you die <laughs> by the pen, and My Pen has an eraser. The U.S. Justice Department sued Volkswagen on Monday for billions of dollars in penalties over the claims that the automaker installed devices meant to evade fuel emission standards in nearly 600,000 diesel engine vehicles. The complaint the U.S. Uh, filed is civil. As opposed to criminal, and doesn't carry any charges for Volkswagen executives. This, uh, the New York Times notes, may reflect poorly on the Obama administration's newly commit, committed to cracking down on corporate crime. So it's a civil, not criminal. I know,
3: which makes the Justice Department one of the greatest fundraisers for the government yeah. in the world. I mean, it seems like their job is to put people in jail. So shouldn't they be doing the criminal, then, then fine them?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
3: There's many people complaining about but the Justice Department. How are you going to do that? that? Yeah.
0: Um, and finally, the San Diego Chargers, the Oakland Raiders, and the St. Louis Rams officially filed to relocate to Los Angeles on Monday. This with the National Football League. They confirmed that in a statement. The NFL said the applications will be reviewed by the league staff, three committees that will meet in New York Wednesday and Thursday. The applications will then be presented to NFL owners at their meeting in Houston in January. Mm. Uh, the relocation of a franchise requires a vote of three quarters of the 32 NFL clubs. So there's three teams, and they all want to move to LA. And if they did, you hear though, I don't know,
3: they they said that if they can't figure out who's going to go, they're all going to merge into one team called Charger Rata.
0: Okay, and they probably still <laughs> would be one of the worst teams. They'd in the still league. be below 500 in the league. Oh yeah, that's interesting
3: to me because who the Rams? I think naturally the Rams should be back in L.A. Okay, but I feel bad for St. Louis. But the Rams—they've since the '40s the Rams were there. Come on, then the Raiders snuck in, did the little L.A. Raider thing, which reminded me of the USFL back in the day. Yes, and
0: uh, and then they all left, and then they all left, and then the Chargers. Did you hear the whole Eric Weddle story? They find their defensive back 10 grand because he stayed on the field to watch his daughter in a halftime performance. Yeah. And I don't even think he was playing. I think he's injured. He's yeah. So he's in street clothes, but they find him 10 grand anyways cuz he didn't go into the locker room for halftime. Instead, he watched his daughter. Yeah.
3: For 10 minutes. That makes me
0: mad. And they were up th- like 30 to nothing on the Miami Dolphins. Honestly,
3: do you know the great PR that would have been? For the NFL, who sometimes don't seem to be very family friendly, well, there's players there's sometimes. a whole
0: myriad of other things going on in that relationship. Yeah. The player and team aren't yeah. seeing eye to eye on anything. He's probably not going to be with them anymore, right?
3: And also, so. the team and the city they're in, well, that's it. <laughs> or not for long. Anyway, interesting, interesting stuff, folks. I'm telling you. See all the interesting information you get. You wouldn't get that. You wouldn't know that there's a Charger Ramarita team that is potentially going to be playing in L.A. The combination of three other teams. Anyway, we'll take a break. When we come back, we'll be speaking with Bill Rauch, the the uh, the founder and leader of a great website, gotyour6.org. We're talking veterans and the important role that they have in uh, strengthening our communities. We're here to understand and empower and figure out how better we can understand and use the veterans and help them uh, relaunch their lives back into the civilian world. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back.
4: To be an American Where at least I know I'm
3: free And I won't forget The men who died Who gave that right to me And I gladly stand Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Man, I love that song, Little Lee Greenwood, for you. And uh, you know, we love our we love those that would give their life for our country, right? But uh, what about the ones that didn't lose their life, but they? They just retired from the military, a a retired veteran. What now? They've given so many years of service, of leadership, of time. Many times I think we forget them. We lose who they are, and and we don't quite use their skills, their gifts, their leadership. And uh, so joining us um, in just a few minutes, it will be – Bill Rausch from the uh, organization GotYour6.org, GotYour6, so if you think about it, you know, the military term, uh, you know, at 12 o'clock straight ahead of you, at 6 o'clock right behind you, GotYour6.org is an organization that is looking after The veterans. It's trying to help veterans reintegrate and be empowered as they return back home and pick up their more civilian lives. Um, Let's listen to a PSA that they have on YouTube um, about what is Got Your Six? For more than a decade, our country has been at war.
0: And as our service members were trained to wage war, they were also trained to wage leadership and loyalty and teamwork. They were trained to wage compassion and problem solving and understanding. Our military veterans were trained to wage good.
5: And as they return home, we have a chance to join them
0: and wage good for all Americans by empowering our veterans to strengthen our communities as volunteers and first responders, teachers and small business owners,
5: as neighbors and friends.
1: The got your six campaign is dedicated to waging good by bridging the civilian military. divide.
3: Welcome back everybody. Um, do you not feel the power of the leadership of these people that have given their lives, their time, their talents to protect us, then they come home and we reintegrate them back into the community, but we don't necessarily utilize those their skills, their great talent, their great leadership and got your 6 as an organization That does. Bill Roush is joining us. Bill is the new director of this campaign. He joins us now live from Virginia. He was a major and uh, spent 17 months in Iraq serving under Generals Casey and Petraeus um, while assigned to the Information Operations Task Force. Uh, Bill Roush, thank you for being here with us today.
6: Matt, thank you for having us and and thanks for uh, focusing on this issue. It's really critical for us.
3: You bet. And thank you for your service and and for really looking after these most essential and important people of our of our community the veterans talk to me about how got 6.org was created where did it where did it come from and and why is it so important to to the rest of us in the United States
6: well we were established in in May of 2012 and we were established as a result of the number of service members that are exiting the military and reentering civilian life, as you mentioned earlier. In fact, uh, each year, a quarter, quarter million service members leave the military. Yeah. They go back into small towns and big cities across the country. And we were established out of the need to really empower our veterans who go back to the communities in order to strengthen the very communities that they came from. And, you know, part of the challenge that, that we face is that uh, based off of the research Uh, That we've done and and others have conducted, you know, there's a risk that the American people view veterans as uh, broken, as victims, as uh, struggling with PTS and other issues. When in fact, uh, as you mentioned at the onset, you know, veterans are tremendous leaders, team builders, we're problem solvers, we're also neighbors and parents, sons and daughters. And so it's it's an effort, it's a campaign that's, that's driven by research and results to, again, empower those veterans to strengthen the communities across the country.
3: And we – it just – it seems crazy for me. We have people that have led thousands of people into combat or have been in charge of, you know, a ship or a battalion or, or even just a team, a squadron. And I think we don't even – we don't even necessarily equate that to the world, you know. Like we're so proud of somebody being a manager – But somebody that's led a team into battle, are you kidding? Or or led a a service crew that's serviced uh, airplanes on the ground? I mean, there's some. It's it's just as good as any other experience we're getting back home.
6: Well, it is, and and, you know, you you bring up an interesting point because I know, speaking from personal experience, when I left the military, I struggled a little bit to understand how my experiences and skill sets in combat, but also outside of combat, translated Hmm. into the civilian workforce, and so. That's why it's critical that we empower our veterans. You know, We're proud to have 30 coalition members who are all across the United States who have hundreds of thousands of members doing phenomenal work to truly empower veterans and give them an opportunity to lead again uh, within a lot of the nonprofit partnerships uh, in the federal government, but also in small business leaders. I mean, one, one of the really exciting areas that, that we see are veterans as entrepreneurs, uh, you know, given the the need to to lead and to be calm under pressure uh, again in combat or out of combat we found that veterans are great at getting the job done and starting small businesses i uh, there 's a small business in my local uh, hometown of Alexandria, Virginia, which is a bath and body shop uh, and it 's amazing the 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 founder Fred Wellman, who 's an Iraq war veteran um, know, didn't go to business school. He doesn't come from a business family, but, you know, he wanted to start a business. He wanted to have an impact on the community. And so those are the types of examples that we get excited about. And frankly, those are the types of things we try to replicate through our empowerment campaigns to, again, strengthen the communities across the country.
3: And is it... I guess you're trying to educate the rest of us in in how to see the veterans. I think differently. I mean, it's almost maybe we have a lot of sympathy for them because we we hear we, like you said we tend to hear the the traumatic stories and the PTS issues. But uh, what you're trying to teach us is these are these are they're not just broken people. I mean, some have been hurt and injured, but these are strong, capable, able people, and we need to, I guess, offer more jobs, I guess, integrate them more? What What can we do as just the general population to better integrate our veterans and, and empower them?
6: Well, I think that's the key question. And, you know, a couple of thoughts, first and foremost, to your point, um, you know, the idea that uh, we're all struggling with mental health issues, that suicide is an epidemic that's only impacting our community, that we're all unemployed or homeless. Those those are narratives that we're trying to combat because, frankly, they're not true. I mean, based off the research, they're just not true. For example, the veteran unemployment rate right now is below the national average of unemployment. And frankly, that's a direct result of of business and industry and and government and others stepping up over the last five years and pushing to hire veterans, right? Hmm. And so that's an exciting, uh, you know, uh, event and and now we're looking to say well, okay now we have veterans employed but how do we get them in the right careers so they can they can truly again uh, be empowered and and lead at the local state and national level so that's that's one piece of it but more broadly you know we one of our programs that that I really enjoy is called the I am campaign and it focuses on veterans who are many things in addition to a veteran, right? We're registered voters, we're fathers, we're daughters, we're all of those things. And so when you think about some of the trauma that we've experienced perhaps in war or outside of war, it's not too dissimilar from, you know, folks again in small towns and big cities across the country who also have struggled, whether they've lost loved ones, they're, they're, they're struggling through transition. And so again, we're just trying to emphasize that we're just like everyone else in the country. And you know what? It's not a surprise that we're like everybody else, Matt, because mm-hmm. we came from the very small towns and the big cities that we're transitioning back to. So, to your question, what can folks do? I think first and foremost, folks can just get to know a vet. You know, say hello, introduce yourself. There aren't any wrong questions. There aren't any gaps. Just build a genuine relationship with your neighbors, and you know, we're not bad neighbors. In fact, we're pretty good ones. And you know, so I think that's that's the first thing. The second thing, obviously, you know, they can visit our website. Uh, got your six. Dot org. I mean, it's a great resource for folks to look at our partners. We have 30 nonprofit partners who are the best in the industry. And then if folks are so compelled, go to our website, backslash donate, and, you know, invest in veterans. I mean, we're not a charity. We're an investment. And, you know, that's really, really critical as we move forward and and sort of cycle down in the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan.
3: And I guess, too, I mean, integrate with local veterans organizations to get people to come apply for jobs at your at your company i mean look for the veteran and make it a, a concerted effort to put the veteran at least in the line in your wherever you can
6: no absolutely in fact you know i i think industry doesn't get enough credit for stepping up and really focusing on hiring efforts across the country whether it's the chamber hiring our heroes whether it's the tech sector you name it, and again, small towns with with small startup businesses as well. I've I've traveled the country and met all kinds of business owners who've made real efforts to hire veterans. One of the biggest challenges, Matt, is finding those veterans, mm-hmm. which is why it's a community-based approach. Because you know, if we're not connected we're not going to get a job if we're not connected we may not get that mental health service that we need it's it's the same the same challenges that impact all of us as a country impact veterans and i think you know it's also important to note the opportunity that you mentioned at the onset of veterans to, to come back and serve as leaders team builders and problem solvers i mean you know if you look up, look across the country at the decline in community and in the, and the how disengaged many communities have been over the last few decades, you know, veterans, we offer a unique opportunity to step up and lead a resurgence, if you will, of increased community, whether it's serving on the school board, whether it's going to vote and getting registered to vote. You know, this is a big presidential year, like you were talking earlier. I mean, all of those things are made possible by an increase in community. And, you know, we want to step up and and help you know, help that resurgence of community across the country.
3: Yeah. We're speaking again with Bill Rausch, um Major Bill Rausch. Uh He's spent 17 months in Iraq serving for us and uh, is now um, taking on this this website, gotyour6.org. It's an entire movement. It's not just a website. But he's got the back of the veterans, and he's uh, talking to us today about how we, just as the local general public, how we can – make sure we've got the uh, backs of our veterans as well. We'll take a break. Stick with us, folks. We'll continue the discussion empowering the veteran and really changing our communities while we're doing it. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today, honoring veterans, not even Veterans Day, and we're honoring the veterans. Um, More importantly, we all uh, may be wasting one of the greatest resources we have in this country. We've trained thousands, I guess, millions of people through our military and armed services, and yet they come home, and a lot of times they just get forgotten, and not just Not just not celebrated, but also not utilized, not not utilizing their great gifts, their great talents. I was uh, talking earlier about a friend of mine that flies Apache helicopters and was a seriously major hero in the Iraq war and came home and didn't have an Apache anymore. And, you know, what do you do then? How do you integrate now? Um, anyway, interesting thing. It changed his life financially. He struggled, and and uh, he's still, I think, struggling to this day. Uh, joining us is Bill Roush from GotYour6.org. It's, uh, it's a program that's designed to make sure that we're protecting, watching out for, empowering, and, and better utilizing our great veterans um, and understanding what they're going through, but also empowering them to be leaders here at home. Uh, Mr. Roush, again, thank you for your service, and thanks for joining us again.
6: No, it's my pleasure. Thank you.
3: What, uh, when, when you look at this, I mean, you have some really powerful videos and media. You have um, a lot of Hollywood people that are backing some of these videos. So on our Twitter feed, we'll have some of the great videos about Got Your Six. It seems like you're getting a lot of movement, and is is are you using these these videos and these – um, the the media platform to kind of promote this is that your is that your goal?
6: Well, it's certainly uh, one of the key approaches we're taking. In fact, uh, you know, we mentioned the coalition earlier. I mentioned the coalition of thirty nonprofit partners right. who are doing phenomenal work across the country. But you know, we did a study a couple of years ago. Uh, it was the Changing Perceptions of American Veterans study, and it was part of a cultural campaign that uh, allowed us to realize that despite the amazing work of many of our nonprofit partners across the country at the grassroots level, there was still a need to change public perception uh, at a grass-top level, if you will, a national level. Mm. And so that's why we've established strong working relationships with the entertainment industry as an effort to truly promote this cultural change that we believe is necessary based off of this research to change public's perception of veterans, to your point earlier – uh we're not charities we're we're investments we're you know we're real people we're just like you and you know we're not broken we're right. we're here to serve and and transition can be difficult but it can be difficult for anyone whether you're in the military or not and so that's why we leverage uh the entertainment partners that we've built and developed as a cr- frankly as a critical component to get the message out there i mean we want to reach every household in america whether it's on TV, whether it's on radio through programs like this, or whether through it's uh, you know, our nonprofit partners who are literally out there on the street right now doing phenomenal work for, for the entire country.
3: Mm. One of the things I know you focus on, too, you call the six pillars. Uh, what are the six pillars that, you, that you're, you're educating us around, and, and how do you use these pillars?
6: Well, we, we use the pillars a few different ways. I mean, first and foremost, as it relates to the six pillars – We, you know, we looked across the industry and we said, "Hey, what's needed? Um, What do we really need to focus on?" And what we realized—you mentioned one of them earlier—employment. You know, several years ago we had a crisis in terms of veterans' employment, and so we identified that as one of our six pillars to focus on and to galvanize the American public through our again our entertainment partners, but also our nonprofit partners, to address those challenges. I mean, in short, the, the six pillars, uh, employment, jobs, as I mentioned, education, you know, the new GI Bill has really transformed post 9 11 veterans going back to school in a way that was never thought possible. Hmm. Health, housing, uh, family, and then leadership being the the sixth pillar, which we, we talk about constantly, you know, uh, regardless of whether you're an 18 or 19-year-old young man or woman who joined the military or you spend 20 years, say your friend who flew Apache uh, yeah. helicopters. You know it doesn't matter how old or what your experience is. Everybody has leadership experience in military, so that's our final pillar, and so that's that's how we initially organized, and we focused our efforts in addressing each one of those. And I'm happy to say we hit all of our goals for all six of those pillars. I mean we've we've seen tremendous, uh, you know, success, and in in no small part, Matt, because of folks listening into this program today stepping up getting behind us to support our campaign to again you know empower veterans and strengthen the community
3: and i like that it's so holistic because without a job and you know with education it could help the job but mental health is going to be a part of it but also physical health and staying healthy and housing and family and leadership that really would create a healthy human anyway and if if we if we can take these veterans and and make them and because you can you you can now reach them if you can find them, like you're saying. Yeah. But if we can reach them and and stabilize their world, then we can continue to utilize all of their history, their great their other great gifts, and, and move it forward instead of having them just kind of fade.
6: Well, that's just it, and and uh, you you hit the point there, Matt. I mean, those six pillars would apply to anybody having a, a healthy, you know, successful. Uh, relationship, whether it's with their family or their community. I mean, those are key components to anyone's life. And, you know, as it relates to, you know, what we have to offer as as a community, you know, one of the unique things about serving in the military is, you know, we all raised our right hand and we wanted to serve. That idea of service doesn't go away when we take off our uniform. And that's the opportunity, right? That's why it's critical that we empower one another, not only within the veteran community, but across the country, because, you know, we don't succeed in the military, without the support of the American public, and so when we leave the military, the same is true, Matt. And so, you know, there's a real opportunity there. And you know, I want to mention another yeah. really exciting uh, program that we have. You know, not too long ago, um, you know, we we talk a lot about the civic assets that veterans are, but you know, we did uh, we did a great uh, research study last year in 2015. And we identified that you know, it's scientifically a fact that veterans are more likely to do a series of other things than folks who haven't served, whether it's going to the polls, volunteering mm. at their local uh, you know, place of worship, volunteering at the local school, being a better neighbor and helping folks take out the trash or small things like that. And so it's that idea of service that is really the opportunity that we want to tap into and that's what will strengthen communities across the country. And it's it's a really exciting time for us. Again, you know, you know, millions and millions of veterans are, are going to be leaving the, the military over the next decade. And again, we see it this is an opportunity to really just re engage communities across the country. Small towns like the ones I grew up in in rural Ohio or big cities like here in Washington, DC where I work now. There's a real opportunity to leverage these folks and you know we're ready to serve, and yeah. so um, you know bring it on. We're, we're we're ready to go. Yeah,
3: bring it on. I mean, I, I love this idea of um, kind of being able to adopt a veteran in a way. We we have a family member that's close that he's he's our veteran. He's he's really one of the only veterans that is in my circle of influence. Um, I mean, except for you know business connections, but. I, I sit there, and I, my son needed t- to have a veteran to interview for his school project, and we had already interviewed my my adopted veteran. And I thought, I don't know any other veterans, but I know there's probably dozens around me that I don't even know about. So I guess it's really my job as as just a civilian to make sure I'm looking and and really finding finding these veterans.
6: Well, and you know. It- I don't think you're, you're unique in that sense, Matt. I think a lot of folks, I meet mean, all kinds of people across the country say, hey, what can I do to help? And, you know, go to our website, guidance6.org, yeah. and we actually have a site, a page that says, hey, what can you do, right? Whether it's reading a book about, Uh, military service, whether it's volunteering for one of these amazing nonprofit partners. I mean, there are all kinds of ways that folks can get out there and do something. And, you know, I I think it's critical to to take a moment and recognize the tremendous sea of goodwill that our country has displayed uh, since before going to war in Iraq and Afghanistan, but especially since. I mean, it has been tremendous. And, uh, you know, I, I I think it's critical for us to recognize that. I mean, certainly veterans are civic assets and we're leaders and we're, we're ready to go and, and take on this challenge when we leave uni- the uniform behind. But at the same time, like I said earlier, the, the same reasons we were successful in uniform was because the American people had our six. And so it's critical as we go back out into these small towns and, and big cities that uh, folks realize it's still a team effort, right? Mm. It's one team, one fight. And and like I said earlier, there's an exciting opportunity
3: here. Oh, I, I, and, and again, the website is just such a great resource because um, like you were saying, there's so many other ways to do it. You could mentor a military child. You could participate in national holiday, talk to your, you know, your alma mater about making sure they're veteran friendly. You could join an affinity group at work, watch videos, read books about the military. And you've got all of these on your site to just educate and, and inform people what else they can be doing.
6: Yeah. It's it's exciting. And and again, it's, it's, it goes both ways. I mean, For a lot of folks depending on how long they served i mean we're we're getting used to the transition back into the community with civilians as much as civilians are with the military right so that's where the opportunity is and you know a lot of folks talk about a civil civilian military divide and we certainly want to bridge that gap but i'd even challenge the concept i mean you know there we don't want there to be a bridge i know there's not a bridge between my house and my neighbor's house Mm -hmm. even where i grew up in the 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 farmland of ohio it it was a long way but there wasn't (laughs) a bridge for goodness sake and so you know, I think it's it's more attainable than than people realize and that's why Guy Your Six exists, you know, to to again take a research and results driven approach to truly empowering our veterans and strengthen communities because the bottom line is is that it's gonna make our country um, better than it's ever been and it you know, it takes all of us rolling in the same direction and, and that's you know, that's why we're fired up. And again, you know, Matt, we can't say thanks enough for giving us a platform you to, to you know, to voice uh, not only what we do, but why we do it. Yeah. Which is why, you know, this is so critical.
3: Well, and you're, I think you're that important. And I like the idea, too, that it's, we're really all in this together and it's the least the rest of us can do for those that served. And th- they didn't do it to be honored. They did it because they care and we should care just as much about, about not, yeah, like, I like the idea, not having the bridge, not needing the bridge, but working on it and, getting closer to our veterans. Bill Roush, we appreciate you. Keep up your great work there at gotyour6.org. Again, highly recommend. Everybody, go check out the website. Just go learn about what you could teach your kids, your families about dispelling some of the myths um, about veterans and also what you can do today to actually start, you know, increasing um, and empowering and magnifying our our veterans as they come back. More and more. 250,000 Veterans are you know, retiring from the military every year, and uh, they, need to, they need to be heard. They need to be understood and uh, elevated. Good stuff, folks. Man, leadership. One of the goals of this show is to help you lead a better life. I'm telling you, the veterans have got some serious life skills and leadership skills that we need to take advantage of. We'll take a break, my friends. Come back, wrap up the second hour of The Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us, folks. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, uh, did you hear the story about a French farmer? You know, you can only go so far when you're trying to stop somebody from committing a crime. There, there is a point that you cross the line. You know, and I don't, I don't want to tell you where the line is. I don't have to tell you everything. But there is a point, and uh, this was proven to a uh, a French farmer who who found out he crossed the line the man who the man was in a process of being robbed in July by two men who were stealing irrigation equipment from his farm. However, the farmer didn't let him get away easily, taking their getaway car with an excavator he <laughs> He, re- he, he grabbed their getaway car with his excavator and reduced the car to smithereens. Yeah. I don't think he used uh, explosives. He, uh, he just pounded it with his excavator. Ben, you got to get an excavator sound. Because someday... You never know when someone's going to turn their excavator on you. The court ruled on Wednesday that this was a disproportionate method of defense and demanded that the farmer pay $26,000 in damages. Wow. For his part, uh, the farmer said that he acted so aggressively due to an exasperation that came from being robbed so many times. The thieves, aged 20 and 28, or 30 and 28, were sentenced to three months in prison and 70 hours of community service. Respectively, they were also told to pay $487 in damages to the farmer. But the farmer farmer actually has to pay $26,000 in damages. I know. I know. It just doesn't seem fair. (sighs) Just when you thought you finally had a shot. When you were lucky enough to get your excavator on the getaway car.
1: The excavator was put in the perfect position (laughs) to destroy the getaway car. It's
3: like God wanted it to happen, is what this guy would say. He put him right there, right by my excavator. And the next thing you know, bada boom, bada bing, crash. He's paying $26,000 in damages. You know, next time, just... Gently lower the bucket from your excavator. No, and just lift the back wheels up of the car and they're not going anywhere. And keep lifting it higher and higher until it's teetering on its hood, on its, on its front grill. And see what happens. Nah, don't do that. Don't do that. Just giving you some ideas. Hey, uh, that's our number two of the Matt Townsend Show. We're going to take a break. When we come back, more ideas, more tools to help you live longer and uh, not get fined for wrecking your <laughs> the thieves' van as they're trying to steal stuff from you. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back. More ideas to help you live longer. Stick with us.
0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side. Follow
0: Dr. Matt on Twitter
1: at Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend.
1: Now
3: on BYU Radio.
2: BYU Radio.
3: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. This is the show where we give you the information, the tools, the ideas you need To grow healthier, happier lives, and Happy Whipped Cream Day, (laughs) we have we have the world-renowned Ron Hager joining us in just a minute about you know your weight loss New Year's resolutions, and he's an expert in chronic illness, and it happens to be Whipped Cream Day. Just don't want anyone to lose the irony there. That's really a
0: good remedy. Yeah. For all that ails you,
3: little whipped cream.
0: Just throw down some whipped cream. Mm. Your, your problems are gone for about ten seconds. Yeah, I like to take my pills with whipped cream <laughs> every morning. My wife started doing that at the first of the year. <laughs> all of a sudden, I had vitamins on the table. I'm like, well, what are these? What's up with this? She goes, "Take your vitamins." I'm like, uh, okay. You got any whipped cream? I go, <laughs> <laughs> "Why are we taking vitamins all of a sudden?" I Apparently, can't. she was making resolutions for me. Oh, yeah. Not including me in the process.
3: It's because – well, yeah. There's some things you don't know you need. Right. So take your pills. Right. That's a horse pill. That's huge. Is it bad when you're sneaking whipped cream? Like when you have to pull over like in a dark alley? And it's – you
0: have like a can
3: you have in a the can door. or two and you're
0: – Yeah, that's bad. That would be a, an issue. That's maybe. a sign. That's a yeah. sign you need to
3: listen to this next segment with Dr. Ronnie. And
0: Edgar. if you have a couple – if you have some spray cheese in there too? Oh, Yeah.
3: Is it a bad sign if your spray cheese and your whipped cream cans are banging around every time you turn a corner in your car?
0: Yeah. Because all I hear is clink, clink, cry, clink. The clink, clink is a cry for help. Yeah, it is. Unless it's bacon-flavored spray cheese. Then it might oh. just be good taste.
3: He's right here. <laughs> He's cringing. Don't talk about this stuff when ron's here sorry hey did you hear about this uh beethoven sheet music score worth a thousand a hundred thousand dollars a sheet music written by ludwig von beethoven do you want to say that with a german accent for me
0: ludwig beethoven not even close nope not even close just sounds like schwarzenegger trying to say it It doesn't sound impressive at all (laughs) a sheet music (laughs) written by mr beethoven
3: found in a Connecticut home has fetched $100,000 at auction. 100k. Appraiser Brendan Ryan spotted the sheet music when he visited the home of the Greenwich woman looking to sell some belongings. He recognized Beethoven's handwriting in the German words, directions and symbols on the page. He's like, "I think I know what that is." Hmm. Right? So, he buys it from her? I wonder what he bought it for.
0: It doesn't say, does it?
6: Mm-mm. Let's so just he, say he made a killing.
0: Here's the moral dilemma. Yeah. You know what it is.
6: Mm-hmm.
0: Do you let them know so they can try to offer you uh, a, a worthy price, I guess? Or do you just... Okay. Give good him the question. $5 and take it and run. Good question. Knowing that you're going to get money for it. I would
3: ask you the question, do you want to go to heaven or <laughs> would you like to go somewhere else?
0: Is it a forgivable offense?
3: Because if you want to go to heaven, I would tell her that is a really good replica of Beethoven. A replica, huh? That I would pay tens <laughs> of hundreds of dollars for. No, I would – I don't know. Yeah. I, I'd probably let her in on the secret. But I'd say, look, you. it's a lot of work. I'll take a cut. Let me do it for you. I'll take ninety percent. Then I'd help her through the process.
0: Go. Okay. That's, I don't know. I think I think there's a, a cross evil. section of, of society that would pay the five dollars and walk out the door.
3: Oh yeah. The majority I think would.
0: Yeah. And it's then go get, capitalism. Your, get your hundred grand. And you, then await the lawsuit.
3: Sure. Take advantage of the old lady. Rude. But that's not gonna get you to heaven. Um, so a hundred grand for music. You, for example, yeah. you wouldn't recognize Beethoven. No, not at all. You wouldn't recognize it. Yeah. I like just, if it was like, like a plan in some video game to like, you know, infiltrate, I don't know what yeah. you call them in your video
0: games. They're banks.
3: The mother banks. ship.
0: Yeah, Sure. If you're, like, you're oh, playing that type that's, of game,
3: yeah. It's Star Wars mothership infiltration plan.
0: Yeah. Now, there's, there's moments where we're looking at something, my wife and I, and I, I tell her all about it. Yeah. And then she looks over at me and she goes, you're such a dork. Yeah. I go, but? I no, I've been telling you that. Like, like r- there's a book out now that has all the new or updated vehicles from the new Star Wars movie. Oh, boy. And the book has cross sections yeah. of all these vehicles. Mm -hmm. how they function here's their engines here's all and I was so just entranced by these cross sections just looking at how they the the integral drawings and uh, what's that about I don't know okay it was rude just didn't like where it was going I just and my wife thought I was kind of a dork (laughs) but in her mind she just dismissed like who cares I'm like look you can see inside the Millennium Falcon look at that thing yeah no that's not interesting no, it is. Keep going. No, it's fine. I'm being mocked. No, you're not. No. Fascinating. Would you pay $400 for a a Lego Death Star? No? No. I'm trying to convince my wife that my boy needs that.
3: <clears throat> what your boy needs is a father. Your boy needs a father. My little boy crazy.
0: needs a $400 Lego Death Star. <laughs>
3: Honey, seriously. <laughs> Do you want him to be a healthy young man or not? It comes with two Tie Fighters. Come on, <laughs> Geek Alert! But that's okay. We need we need people like you so that there's other people that can go make
0: hundred grand on
3: Just Beethoven.
0: Balance out society is what Correct. you're saying. Okay,
3: that's good. Hey, um, anything else going on around the world? We need to know about any news, any headlines.
0: Quite a bit. We'll start out with a new poll out today. I know how much you love your political polling. Yep. This one is from NBC News and Survey Monkey. Okay. Which is a website. It's by my the way. favorite monkey. Uh, it shows that Donald Trump is still leading the Republican candidates for president.
3: Well, you, everyone acts surprised.
0: Yeah. He, but it's the same wide margin, thirty-five percent. Yeah. To second place, Ted Cruz, eighteen percent. Now eight, he Ted's up to eighteen percent. Yes. Who's number three? Marco Rubio at thirteen. Okay. Followed by Ben Carson at nine, Jeb Bush at six. Moving up. And Chris Christie at four. And what? Carly Fiorina pulling in at three. And Carson is
3: down to nine?
0: Yes. He's going the other way. Yeah. So. And Carly's still hanging on. The poll the first of 2016 also found that Trump supporters are very loyal. Over half, 51%, say they will absolutely vote for him. While 33% said there was a large chance that they would vote for Donald Trump. Only 36% of Ted Cruz supporters said they would vote for him. Absolutely. Really? Yeah. I'm not sure what that means, but, you know. Just
3: really quickly, uh, we have a clip about Ted Cruz, um, a comment that he made about Obama's new gun legislation that we just, I think it's essential that we play.
1: Well, he can abuse his power all he wants. He has a phone and he has a pen, but if you live by the pen, you die by the pen. And my pen has got an eraser.
0: Huh. Yep, that's interesting. It's got the special pen. <laughs> so, the White House unveils the new gun uh, me- gun control measures on Monday, requiring more uh, sellers to get gun- when you get gun licenses, more gun buyers to undergo background checks. Uh, President Obama said uh, the moves were well within his authority to implement without congressional approval. <laughs> One of the new rules makes it easier for doctors and other authorities to report mentally ill people to the FBI's background check system. The shift. Makes clear that those who do, those who do, won't run afoul of privacy laws. What gets passed along only a person's name and the entity that made the ruling. Reports the magazine here. One, uh, what what doesn't per the rule? Any underlying diagnosis, treatment records, another uh, identifiable health information.
3: Okay, but if you're like a mental health worker and you have a person that's let's say schizophrenic, and you report him to the FBI because he may go get a gun. Yes. It seems like that's going to get back to you. Probably. Seems scary.
0: So, <laughs> I don't know. That rules in there. Okay, okay. Don't good. Don't know if it's good or bad. It's a but, step. Uh, it's that's a, the key. It's, it's a, a step. It's a step in some direction. Yeah. Also, you want you or you're a huge proponent of the driverless car. Yes. You would like a machine mm-hmm. to drive you to work. I'd rather have I'd rather have a chauffeur personally. Some people have speculated that services like Uber or Lyft could benefit from this Mm -hmm. as they have an autonomous car show up to your house, you get in, it drives you to work.
3: I like it. Then they don't. There's not the smell Mm -hmm. of another human and there's not... The the weirdness that goes on with some Uber drivers.
0: It may turn into a carpool situation to be more (laughs) efficient, not just taking one person to... to Oh, but but then all of a sudden you're like waiting for Larry to come out. Larry, it's always Larry. It's always Larry. Larry, I'm in a hurry. Ride-sharing service Lyft announced Monday that General Motors has invested $500 million in the company, roughly half of what Lyft's latest $1 billion venture financing round. So Mm. they, they invested half of their total worth. Uh, GM's investment in the growing company is more than just monetary. The New York Times reports that GM will be working with Lyft to develop an autonomous, on-demand network of self-driving cars and will also set up a series of short-term car rental hubs where people who don't own cars can pick one up and earn money driving for Lyft. GM will also take a seat on Lyft's board. (laughs) The partnership aimed to put Lyft and GM in competition with other innovators Uh, Like Google, Tesla, Uber, all of which already are devoting resources to developing self-driving cars, so they want to set up a system like you want, where someone will a a, a car will drive you to work. It just seems like so you can go to
3: anywhere in downtown, pick up and go to an Uber Lyft location, basically borrow an Uber car or a Lyft car, whichever one, whichever brand you prefer, and then you can drive around that and 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 pick up people all day. I guess for Uber or for Lyft. But it seems like if I was a homeless guy, why wouldn't I do that every day? <laughs> Make money. Like, it's a job, right? And it's warm. That too. It's
0: great. So, and helping out the homeless. There you go. Just my idea. Another idea. Would you want your house automated? No. This week, we're going to have uh, Jay McFarlane on tomorrow. Yeah. He's in Las Vegas at the Consumer X, X, uh, Electronics Show, yeah. CES. And there's all kinds of home automation.
3: Now There's some parts I do want automated. All kinds of stuff. Yeah, I, there's, there's some things... cool stuff.
0: Um, Mark Zuckerberg, he's the guy that uh, owns Facebook, runs Mm -hmm. Facebook, says one of his New New Year's resolutions was to automate his house. But he doesn't want to just have like a doorknob that automatically opens or an appliance that works. He wants something like Iron Man has. Yeah. Jarvis, where you walk in and talk to your house, it responds to you. Wouldn't that be great? And then you can have a discussion as to what you want. Jarvis, warm my bed. And he even refers to it just like what Iron Man has in the, mm. in the movie with uh, his program called Jarvis. Uh, it's his objective for the year. The founder of Facebook said he will explore existing technology before teaching the system to understand his voice, identify friends who ring his doorbell, and monitor his house.
3: That's cool. Yeah. I want to be his friend.
0: Yeah. Then you can go over there and play with it.
3: <laughs> well, I'm, or get locked out.
0: Well, if he doesn't like you. But that would be, you know, automate your house, but really automate it, not just have some things that, that spin when your phone's near.
3: Yeah. Yes, I love technology. See, I love it. And it's going to continue. I want a doorbell that I can I can see from right here. I want to be able to see who's at my front door.
0: Without getting off the couch. Uh-huh. Yeah. And tase them. Oh, you want to tase people on your cool. front doorstep? You don't have to, but I think it'd be fun. That's kind of me. You're mean. a monster.
3: You don't have to tase them. Oh, okay. You could just have the ability to. Oh, it's an option. It's a choice. Gotcha. I like choices. I could also, you know, open the door and just let them come in. I could send Jarvis, my my house robot, to go open the door. Anyway, technology, cool stuff. What it's not going to help you with, folks, is it's not going to help you lose your weight. You're eventually going to have to choose to lose your own weight unless you pay a company to lose it for you. <laughs> Which some companies say that you can do. For just, you know, a dollar a pound, they'll help you lose the weight that you aggregated around your waist. Crazy. Joining us in a minute, uh, Dr. Ron Hager here from Brigham Young University. He's going to be helping us with our New Year's resolutions. If you happen to have made the most popular resolution of losing weight, stick with us, folks. Uh, The great uh, health master, the great uh, guru, he's going to hate to be called all of these things. He's here to help us understand the Simple Truth About Weight Loss. Stick with us. We'll be right back. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. Hey, we know for New Year's, you like to make the resolutions, right? And you like to... Create a lot of goals, and some of you don't. You just like one big goal, and you've made it for the last 10 years to lose weight. So, we thought, let's bring in the expert, Dr. Ron Hager. Uh, he's an associate professor of exercise sciences at uh, the College of Life Sciences here at BYU. He's also an expert in chronic disease prevention, and he's here today to, to help us with our weight loss resolution. If we made a resolution to lose weight, which I actually say I did. I didn't. I made a resolution to just exercise more. i got to find a winter exercise, something I can do in the winter because I usually go walking, uh, skipping a little bit. I skip. I walk. Um, but, Ron, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you, Matt. What do we do? Uh, first of all, is it a good idea to make a New Year's resolution? Do you believe in those?
5: You know, it's a lot of people ask, what what's the deal with a New Year's resolution? I mean, obviously, people look for... Reasons to make changes. You have to have some kind of tipping point where your motivation level gets you to a point of action. And so people use a variety of things. They use birthdays, anniversaries, New Year's. Yeah. uh, You can use any. uh, High school reunions. Uh You know, there's all kinds of things out there like that. But obviously, you know, a new year is, is a pretty big deal. You know, maybe right up there with, like, a 10-year high school reunion. Yeah, I mean, I, like,
3: reunions seem to motivate. Yeah, Weddings, I, yeah, you know, we, if your wedding. child's
5: getting married. Exactly. And these are the – and you know what's funny is uh, people want to make all kinds of changes. You know, I want to quit smoking by the time, uh, you know, my son gets married or yeah. whatever. Or, but probably the biggest one, no matter what, uh, you know, the, the, the tipping point occasion is, is to lose weight. You've
3: you still got to lose the weight.
5: Yeah, I mean it's you know when I go to my high school reunion, I want to look like I did when I was in high school, you know, or (laughs) or whatever. Yeah, Um, without the awkwardness. Yeah, and a lot of people, you know, do at some point become aware of weight gain. Yeah, Uh, sometimes it's called creeping obesity because it happens so
3: slowly. You say eighty percent of the U.S. population is that true? By
5: some by 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 some data, it's 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 a high seventy to eighty percent is either overweight or at some level of obesity there's now different categories of obesity but maybe
3: we feel better and we've talked about this on the show uh before maybe we just feel better making the resolution and we think that that's the same as actually keeping it oh maybe like oh yeah i made a resolution i mean i I, I am i am resolute studying human behavior you
5: know why people do the things they do is super complex yeah it's. I don't know if anybody's ever going to come to, you know, hard and fast answers on why people do the things or don't do the things, you know, that they they do or don't do. It's 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 a tricky thing. There's just so many variables. There's uh, so much uh, diversity. Yeah. In the human population, and and how we're impacted and influenced. Uh, but interestingly. The the issue of weight loss is actually incredibly simple.
3: Okay, yes. Yeah. It, it, Give me the technical.
5: Yeah. Well, well, it, it's, intake, outtake, intake, energy use. Yeah, it's it, it's a called an energy balance equation. Okay. And is this
3: going to mean math? Do I have to do math? No,
5: no. Okay. But but if you if if a person takes in fewer calories, yeah, uh, then they expend, and expenditure can come. In a variety of ways. I mean, you have a basal metabolism. You, it takes energy just to keep you alive, even yeah. if all you did was lay in bed all day.
3: There's still just, yeah, there's still there's energy. A,
5: right, right. Your body's still processing things, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, But you can also expend energy in exercise. You can expend energy at work. There's occupational levels of activity. Some jobs require more physical exertion than others. Um, so there's all kinds of ways to expend energy. Uh, there's basically only one way to intake energy, you know. That's what you eat, yeah. and of course, there's different nutrients, uh, you know, micronutrients and macronutrients, which have calories, and calories are the the, the energy that the body uses. Um, but so, if, if a person takes in fewer calories than they expend, it is impossible <laughs> to gain weight.
3: No, I've heard of a I've heard a weight loss commercial say that
5: you you cannot. You you cannot violate uh, physical law. No, it, yeah, you know, like 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 laws of thermodynamics. It's going. For example. You
3: will lose weight.
5: Yeah, and you know a lot of people jokingly say, yeah, well I know somebody that you know uh, they can eat anything they want and they never gain weight. And uh, and me, you know, I I smell a donut and I gain five pounds. You know, it. I mean, it may are you seem, debunking that? It may seem like that, but it's not true. <laughs> yeah. Because you, actually you have
3: to consume the donut. Yeah, you actually have to or take dozen. the
5: calories in. Right. So. So the, the entire obesity epidemic, as it's oftentimes called, can really very simply be explained as we as a society or a people or whatever you want to call it are
3: consuming more than we're, than, than, well, than we're, than we're expending. Help me with this because it seems like the people that are disciplined enough to exercise or manage their diet – are also the ones that are disciplined enough to count their calories. So, okay. I wonder if is it do we do we just need to get cuz it seems like anytime I count my calories and my my consumption and my energy kind of or my like if I'm counting anything, my steps, my minutes of exercise or um anytime I'm counting my calories, I consume less. So It's like all I have to do is if I would just focus on counting, I really do better because I guess I'm just informed. I mean I'm present. Which, which may be something that works for you. Mm-hmm. And and I don't know
5: that everybody needs to do that. I mean let me ask you this question. Uh, obviously there's been an increase in the rate of weight gain yeah. over the decades and even the, the last century. So is is the reason we've gained so much weight is because – a century ago, people counted calories more? Mm-mm. No. No, there was. No, no it's no. not. It, what has happened, um, Matt, is our environment right. has changed. Uh, you know, you were just talking about, uh, you know, automated cars and things like that. I mean, a lot of people just get, get tickled by this. Oh, the idea. I mean, that- they're just fascinated by the technology. Uh, but at the very least... Uh, even though people don't really think about it like this, so much of our technology has actually robbed us Mm -hmm. of opportunities to expend energy. Right. That's right. And we justify it by saying, well, it makes me more efficient. It gives me more time. It allows me to do these other things that I wouldn't otherwise be able to do. But is anybody saying, yeah, but if I put the dishes in the dishwasher as opposed to wash them with my hands, am I – uh, burning fewer calories. Yeah. Nobody ever says that. Right. But in fact, they are, and in fact, some research—the kind of research that uh, kind of predicts things, uh, sort of an actuarial sort of a thing—some uh, research has said that that automation. You know, you talked about home automation yeah. too. That you don't that, have to get off your couch; you can just yeah. <laughs> summon yeah. them in. Yeah. There's some research that says that that the the automation technology uh, can can explain. About a 100 to 200 calorie deficit um, in, in terms of expenditure wow. per day. And 100 to 200 calories
3: is enough to explain the entire obesity epidemic. Just simply automation of like you don't have to go beat your rugs over a line anymore. Now you just vacuum. Right.
5: Oh, and you don't even have to push a heavy vacuum.
3: You, can just, you have
5: a self-propelled one.
3: Yeah. Or you even have one that's a, robotic. A little robot that just does it. Yeah. Exactly. So that even if that's just 200 calories a day, that could be costing you uh, seriously pounds a year. Well, I mentioned this
5: concept of creeping obesity. Think about this. If a person gained an extra 10 pounds in a year, mm-hmm. I mean, that's not unreasonable. No. That, I would think that I did it this holiday. <laughs> to a lot of people. So 10 pounds in a year. Yeah. Okay. Well, in five years, that's 50 pounds. Oh, yeah. So – at the end of the first year, the person may say, oh, I'm a little heavier, but I'm fine. <laughs> but at the, end of, at the end of maybe five years or 10 years, when they're 50 pounds heavier, that's when they say, what in the heck happened? I got a problem. That's why I call it creeping obesity. That's it. And so it nev- kind of catches up with and you. And they don't
3: ever think about it like home automation or something that simple, right. or the mere fact that you know, you got a better parking place at your right. and So,
5: So here's a little math. There's about 3,500 calories worth of energy in a pound of fat, so if you were ten pounds heavier that's thirty five thousand extra calories worth of energy that mm-hmm. you're that you now have on your body okay thirty five thousand calories. If you divided that by three hundred and sixty five days in a year that's about ninety six extra calories per day man alive so so go back to what I said about uh, this this idea of. A hundred to two hundred calories per day yeah. being robbed from us just because of the culture and the environment that we live in w- without us even questioning it,
3: and you can see
5: how, how, that, that, how that explains easily. a ten pound weight gain per year oh yeah
3: man okay ron, hang on we 're going to take a break, uh, come back more with Dr. Ron Hager uh, helping us with our new year 's resolution if you have a resolution to lose weight. One thing you ought to do is get rid of that little robot that drives around your house vacuuming. It's killing you, folks. One calorie at a time. Uh, We'll take a break. Come back. More uh, information, more ideas to help you live longer and be stronger. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Is it possible that just advancing technology, like we were talking during the break, a drive-up window at your, you know, at the hamburger joint or at your bank? Or or the dry cleaners. Or the dry cleaners. These are all now costing you, you know, 30 calories here. Or even even five. Whatever it is, over the course of a
5: 24-hour period,
3: that's going to add up. Yeah. But these are all beneficial, and apparently we did it because this just saves us time. Labor-saving. Yeah.
5: Labor-saving devices, labor-saving changes in our environment. But but yeah. why, Matt? What? What is the obsession with saving labor?
3: Right. Isn't there something good that comes from labor? Well, because then we could be with our families more. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> but that's the deal. That's the, That's the creeping laziness that's happening to us or the creeping excuses that we start making. So, so, so people will say, I don't have time to park and
5: walk into the dry cleaner. I need that extra time yeah. to do these other things. So, so people engage in all these rationales for saving time. Mm-hmm. And yet, when it comes to their dietary habits or their exercise habits, what's the number one excuse people give? for not no, abiding time. by those. Don't have time to I don't do don't have enough time. So what do you mean you don't have enough time? You're doing everything in the world to save time. That's right.
3: It, it, well, it, well, that's the problem crazy. is we just keep we'll fill it with more junk, more <laughs> stupid stuff. Yeah. So yeah. so we've talked a little bit about the expenditure side yeah. of
5: the equation and obviously there's some problems with that. And you know, a very popular new year's resolution also is, you know, I'm going to exercise more. I'm going to do what, you know, I'm going to I'm going to, you know, be more fit. I'm going to walk more. I'm going to walk to work instead of drive. I mean, you know, people make make all kinds of uh, resolutions for their health. And those are good things. Those are good things. Uh, But let's talk a little bit about the intake side Mm -hmm. of this energy balance equation. um, you know, only about 23% of Americans
3: consume five servings of fruits and vegetables a day. What percentage? Twenty. About about 23%. Wow, that seems even high to me. Yeah. <laughs> like that's that's sad, yeah. but like because you need five, but I could see people getting three. Well, maybe this will help explain some of that. Half of all the vegetables that
5: are being consumed are French fries.
3: That's what. I, that's that's the great gift from heaven. <laughs> yeah. So so here <laughs> half half of we're calling a French fry. Your vegetable. Or some other variation of a potato, yes, like or a fried
5: fried, yeah. fried potatoes mm-hmm. or potato chips or something like that. Wow. Um, in, 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 in 25 years, from 1977 to 2002, so this data is a little bit uh, dated, but uh, in, in that 25-year period, pizza consumption went up 413% in children. Wow. And 208% in teenagers, while vegetable consumption went down between 30 and 40%.
3: Well, and try to get your kids to eat a veggie pizza. Yeah. And so a lot of this has to do with, <laughs> what, happen with, with what's
5: happening at a school. Yeah. You know, pizza became, during that 25 years, you know, the food of choice in the schools. Now, uh, daily calorie consumption is at an all-time high. And this has been documented in various studies, uh, both, both uh, you know, from a, a government perspective and, and, you know, private, you know, just uh, academic researchers and so forth. Uh, adults are now consuming in the U.S. an average of 2,757 calories per day. And most of those excess calories no, – I say excess because uh, based on you know metabolism and height and weight and everything, mm-hmm. the average American needs about 1,000 calories less than
3: that per day. So the, we're consuming about 2,700, 2,800, and we only need about 1,700. 1,700 to 1,800.
5: Yeah, now obviously if you know you can break it out it's
3: different for people of different sizes. But and, one combo meal and, and, and men and women. But a combo meal is like 2500 calories. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know what it is, but it's, it's huge. a lot. Yeah. Um
5: but so most of the excess calories in other words why are we consuming more calories? Most of the excess calories are coming from fats and oils, uh refined grains, hmm. uh and and sugars. Um uh, so you know, things Things have changed in our environment. We kind of live in a food carnival like no other time in history. Food is more available. It's more palatable. It's less expensive uh, than ever before. Oh, yeah.
3: Yeah. And it's easier to access. You can now do it online, have it delivered to your home. Yeah. It's it's so strange, isn't it? We are becoming becoming that television show, iRobot. Is that what it was? Oh, I remember an animated TV so, yeah, show. Yeah, where they're all on the chairs, um, and we just float around in the chairs.
5: Yeah, and we don't even talk to each other, even though we're right next to each other. Yeah. We use our personal communication devices instead of our own voices. Oh.
3: And in a way, it's nice as a parent. I guess. To not have to talk. But it's pitiful because we don't connect. We don't. And, well, and, and it's impacting, it's impacting our health, and we don't even know. The long-term impact. Well, think, do we? Uh,
5: well, actually,
3: yeah. I mean, because like I, I look at what my kids are
5: growing up in. We're, we're, what, what's happening, Matt, is we're becoming aware yeah. of the long-term impact. I mean, nobody has, I think, been asking the hard questions. Everybody's just been saying, uh, you know, what are the pros? What, what are the yeah, uh, all the benefits, all of the all benefits, of all, benefits this. of all this. But nobody has stopped to say, yeah, but are there any, uh, you know, cons to this? Is there any negative? potential side effects to all this. And obviously, there is. Um, and, and so I, I just say to people, you don't, you don't want to be you know, negative all the time, but you do have to kind of have a certain level of skepticism. Yeah. You have to say, OK, yeah, well, like that. that sounds really great. But then you have to have at least a, 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 a slight desire mm-hmm. to say, but
3: yeah, what is it really going to cost me in this way? Well, and maybe that's the key to this is, and we've got to go, man, but but also that's ask right. ourselves the idea that how is this technology improvement going to impact my health over time? Like, we never ask the health question no. over time because we don't see a correlation. Until we're in the middle of a health crisis. Yeah. Then you need a defibrillator. And then we're
5: trying to fix it by treating symptoms rather than even going back to the underlying cause. Yeah. Oh, it's, I, it's, I just want to mention yeah. real quick, I read a a thing not too long ago about patients in cardiac rehab. So these are people who have had a heart attack, and the study wanted to know it was about compliance because they were seeing that a lot of people weren't complying to cardiac rehab. And, the, and, and two main reasons came to light in this study uh, for why people don't, you know, kind of do their, go through the cardiac rehab program do your all diet. the way. Yeah. And the first one was not surprising because I don't have time. Right. Ugh. Because, you know, you just
3: had a heart attack. Hey,
5: or hey, about well, to. yeah. Yeah. But, you know, but I've got work to do. I've got I've got a project I've got to finish. I've got this, I, you know. So that, that's the number one reason. Not surprisingly. But the next one kind of surprised me. What? Well, why do I need cardiac rehab? The doctor fixed me. My heart's fixed. Yeah, exactly. Ugh. So uh, so apparently the heart attack was caused by a lack of uh, a bypass graft. So if only you would have had that all yeah. along, then you never then, would have... Had. See, that doesn't even make sense. No. But this, this, this is kind of yeah. the mentality we're in. It's like we want to avoid our responsibility for our own right. health. So when it comes life. to New Year's resolutions and success, Matt, what do you do? You've got to figure out what works best for you. There is no one-size-fits-all. No. There just absolutely is not. And you've got to have you know some kind of social support network if that's important to you, or you've got to have a dog if that's important to you, or at some point you just have to put your you know, slam your hand down on the table and say, enough is enough. Get up and it's get going. It's time to make a change. Yeah. And and I don't know what it takes for each person. But, uh, but we there, can but, figure it out. But there is some good research out there, and there are some ideas on how to knock down barriers and change your environment and change your circumstances. Uh, but fad diets, pieces of exercise equipment. It's not, yeah. Yeah,
3: it, I mean, that's not it. Well, and you can also go back, if you go to byuradio.org and just research, just look up Ron Hager. He's been on all of our shows for I think 50 years <laughs> he's that he's that young and um, but there's we've talked about a lot of really cool ways to lose weight to be healthy and to eat whole foods and anyway Ron we appreciate you so go look that up on byuradio.org just google or, or just look up Ron Hager, Hager Uh, Good stuff. We'll take a break, folks. Come back with our good buddies down at BYU Sports Nation. Find out how Jerem's mustache is coming. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends. To the Matt Townsend Show. Mm. Hey, uh, it's so ironic. Uh, Ron Hager leaves the studio, and then Sean brings in some macadamia chocolates. Macadamia nut chocolates. Oh, from Hawaii. Mm. Luckily, he's gone, though, so we can just chow down. Let's shoot it down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Hello, gentlemen. When the beads used to be good. Never say never.
2: The The beads. The beads. Oh, the Beavers. Yeah. Yeah, Beavs. Justin. Beavs. Are you a believer? No, but Brian Logan is. But isn't... I think Brian Logan loves him so Brian Logan... Justice Beaver. But
3: everybody's saying that he's... Justice Beaver? <laughs> <laughs> everybody's saying that he's back. Like, this, this new album. He's a he new is. man. His,
2: his album actually is good. Now, it's to be determined on whether or not that has translated to his actual personal life. Yeah. But you, I don't but really his,
1: care about his personal life. But his new like,
2: album is decent, yeah.
1: I just to his... I'm not digging into... I don't even know the names of the guys a lot of times, let alone what they're doing. Hey, here's,
3: here's something that's really, I guess, See, ironic. I, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, when you're talking Justin Bieber, I, I can only think of one thing. I can think of Jerem's mustache as exactly like Justin Bieber's.
2: Does Justin Bieber have a mustache?
3: I don't know. Does Jerem?
2: Oh. <laughs> i I'm, I'm not going
1: to shave it until the men's basketball team loses.
3: You know what? We decided. Uh, you look like you look like a an actor on the sh- on the Godfather. Who? What? I need to look this up. Look, Ain't no horse
1: heads up in here.
3: I know. <laughs> no, but if you just go watch the entire, just watch the Godfather. I, Fredo. I, is it Fredo? It might be Fredo, but because you got your slicked back hair today, Jerem, and then that little tight. Little stash. <laughs> and I, all I can think of is like Giuseppe. I just think the name is Giuseppe.
1: Well, it's funny that you say that because the men's volleyball team used to have their statistician, this amazing guy that worked with the Italian and USA national teams, was named Giuseppe and he was from Italy and he had See? a mustache.
3: Did he, did he look like you? Did he, he, looked, he look hot?
1: um Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, super hot.
3: <laughs> Oh, I love it. I, I'm so glad you're doing it. And you're only going to shave it when? When the game, when the team?
1: When the men's basketball team of Brigham Young yeah. loses. Really? So it could be a couple weeks. So they play Santa Clara and San Francisco this week at home. I think BYU wins both of those. They can win those. Next week, they play at Gonzaga. Ugh. That's going to be a tougher game, right? Why don't I think BYU is capable of winning that.
3: Why don't you um, say you're going to keep it until they do something bigger than win or lose?
1: Because I don't want the mustache.
3: Did your wife like your mustache?
1: Um, my wife's at her parents' house for another week. Oh, so, so she doesn't it really doesn't care. care. That's yeah. why. Marriage sabbatical.
3: So while the wife's away, the caterpillar on your lip can play.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Nicely played. In the great words of the poet.
3: <laughs> the poet who didn't know it. Hey, um, talk. Okay. I had a question for you. Uh, Did you forget it? I forgot it. But it was really profound. Hey, oh, New Year's resolutions.
2: Ah Do you guys have a New yes. Year's resolution? Doesn't everybody have New Year's resolutions?
3: Well, apparently Jerem's is to grow a stash.
2: Well, no, he does that every time he goes on a long vacation. Does he? Comes back with a beard and then he shaves it all off except for the mustache.
3: Mm-hmm. My um
2: Right? Is that right?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 My my resolution's to get my back waxed.
2: Have you done it yet? TMI, man. No. Nope. It doesn't seem like much of a resolution. Like, okay, get your back waxed. Done. Have you ever
3: had your back waxed?
2: Why? Why are you waiting until no, the New year to do that? No, thankfully I don't that. need to do that.
3: Wax on, wax off. It hurts. I'm sure. But by the way, Jeremy, if you need any extra hair,
2: oh, <laughs> don't even, don't do it. I've got.
3: I got a friend that.
2: <laughs> don't do it. A dealer. <laughs> what, what are we talking about? Spence, what's
3: your what's uh, <laughs> what's your what's your New Year's resolution?
2: I tweeted him out on did you? Uh, early New Year's morning. Oh, wow. I don't know what you said. What mm-hmm. did you say? I said, uh, drink less soda. Ah,
3: that's mine every year, too.
2: Okay, get more sleep. Mm-hmm. And, and eat more chicken. And eat <laughs> less junk food. And then I followed it up by saying, basically, don't do anything that I did tonight. Yeah. Wow.
3: yeah. Yeah. That's sad. That's sad.
2: So, I'm sorry. These are my New Year's resolutions.
3: How soon until you break them?
2: Uh, well, I ate junk food this morning. Okay. And I also drank soda this morning. Well, there you but have I it. Did, I have been getting more sleep. Have you? Yeah. With a baby in the house? Well, part of it was because I was away from my baby for four days because I was working in Utah. Okay. Court ordered. They were in, in the Las Vegas area with family, okay. and so I, I could get more sleep.
3: Yeah, that's cool.
2: Yeah. Now that we've got the important discussion out of the way.
3: <laughs> hey, um, you guys still doing your show thing
2: today? Mm-hmm. You do Pat it every day, right? And resolutions aside.
3: Yeah. What, uh, what are you talking about today?
2: Man, today is the day. What? That the surreal Ty Detmer becoming the offensive coordinator mm-hmm. becomes a reality because he will address— his BYU offense for the first time in a public forum. Really? Where? Introduced today officially as okay. the offensive coordinator at BYU. At the student athlete building. <laughs> Thank you, Giuseppe. Where the athletic
1: students go to read books and take tests and stuff.
3: And are you, you guys will be there.
1: We'll be there. Wow. We're always there. We don't have anything We're else We're everywhere, to do. man. It's either that or play Tecmo. Super Bowl. We should do that today.
3: No, no, no. Guys, focus. You got to work.
1: Oh,
2: I bet. no! We'll work and then we'll play Tecmo.
3: Well,
1: yeah, yeah. We get all the work done and then we play. Yes, yeah.
3: Huh? I wish I could do that.
2: <laughs> you can. Can I? Can I at play? Four a.m.
3: Can I play with you guys? Can you? Can I come play Tecmo? Tec- yeah, you want? To, we
2: have Tecmo? a.
1: We at yeah, Tecmo. The no no there's joke. A, there's a there's a basketball mm-hmm. hoop in our office mm-hmm. that serves as a uh, creative brainstorm. Medium.
3: I've got to come over there more often.
1: Yeah, come hang out, man. We need a doctor
3: in the house. I'll, I'll come. Someone okay. we can trust. Yeah, call me, like Doctor T. Doctor T. Doctor Dunk. Call me Doctor Dunk.
1: Well, you'll prove yourself. Yes.
2: Okay. I thought that was Daryl Dawkins. No,
3: I'll be there. What, dead, time the what time is the game? What time's our game?
2: What time's our, time our game? Yeah, today. No, these are unplanned.
3: Okay. Well, how will you, I know? You can't. I'm on the other side of the building. You just have
1: to know it.
3: Okay. So I, I just feel it.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. The force.
3: All right. Okay, so when I just show up randomly today in my spandex, just know that I felt the force.
1: Okay. It's not that intense, just so you know.
3: Okay. But I'm wearing a sweatband, i got to tell you that. Hey, uh, you want to know what else is happening? Yeah, on what the else show? is on the show?
2: <laughs> gold <laughs> nice, medalist, nice Peter Vidmar. Two time gold man medalist. Man alive. Gymnast. President the Peter Vidmar. Gymnastics team. That's cool. In the US of A. His daughter competes for BYU women's gymnastics. They're both going to be on the show today. Not often we have no, a huge. two-time gold medalist yeah. in studio B.
3: Daddy daughter. I mean, how cool is that?
2: Mm-hmm. Really cool.
3: Good show. Anything else? President
1: is he? He's, he's going to be an LDS mission president. He
3: is, or he's, he is. He's, where he? I don't know that they've announced where, but he's uh, will be assigned a place. I Ask him it, about it, that.
2: Yes, he. he this is it starts in three, July, three right? Three weeks. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, three weeks ago.
2: Oh, nice. That's cool. Yeah. yeah, I just looked it up on the...
3: You can uh, call him president.
2: Very nice. And? So, so
3: you're going to have him. Anything else on the show?
2: Well, we just discussed how awesome it's going to I mean, be. I mean, Blake I mean... Fowler, yeah. Jeff, Jeff Judkins. Judkins. Basketball coach, former NBA player. Jetty. Ty Detmer is, again, the offensive coordinator introduced today. We're going to talk about what we want to do. We're going to have Detmer on the show. Yeah, Ty will be on the show tomorrow. Oh, yeah.
3: that's cool. You guys, ask Ty if I can interview his wife.
2: Just asking that. Uh, we'll let you do that. Okay. <laughs> chicken. People need to call his people. Giuseppe, on you yeah. chicken. You're yeah. a
3: chicken. Okay. Well, have a great uh, show. Yes,
2: uh, his people uh, will be in contact with the Matt Child's show.
3: That was really good, Giuseppe. Okay. Um, have a great that show. Me. Oh, it wasn't. Was that Spencer?
2: No. Yeah. Hey, remind me to do my Bane impersonation kay. for you tomorrow. Tomorrow, Bane. FarmersOnly.com.
3: Oh my heavens, Farmers Only <laughs> Bane <laughs> version. Okay. Okay, tomorrow. The perfect Don't forget. combination. Bane and farmers only. Okay. Have a great show, gentlemen. Okay. Knock them dead. Bye. Bye. Okay, Ben, write that down. We've got to make sure because you do not want to miss the Bane, farmers only ad. How
1: do those even meet is my question. Like farmers and Bane. Have you been on farmers? No.
3: You'll go on farmers, then you'll know. Bane. Um, okay, so here's the deal. We're about done. Man, time flies. Those guys, they just, it's almost like they don't even work. You know what I mean? What do they work? An hour a day? The rest of us just killing ourselves? Hour in. Listen to this. I, I have two hero stories I'm going to tell you today. Boom, boom. But uh, we're not going to do the hero music till the second one because the second one's the grand finale. Did you hear about this restaurant worker that fines $32,000? Listen to this California woman and her mom are thankful for an eagle-eyed and honest Applebee's worker after they left a pouch with $32,000 behind at a restaurant. Erica Gonzalez said that she and her mom had taken her dad's entire life savings to the bank to put it in a safety deposit box. But the bank said that there were no boxes available. So the two women went to run some errands. They grabbed some dinner at uh, Fresno Applebee's. And guess what happened? They forgot their little pouch of cash, $32,000 worth, and they left. When they got home, they realized they forgot the cash. She said, I said, our hearts dropped. I didn't think we were going to find the money, but an Applebee's employee happened to spot the pouch at the booth where Gonzalez and her mother had dined and turned it into the manager who called 911. I think the dispatcher thought I was kidding because she said that's that much cash. Are you sure? And uh, Carrie Hellyer says, uh, yep. And anyway, they then contacted the ladies, and the ladies came in, proved uh, with their ID that it was their cash, and bada boom, bada bing, another hero is born. So cool uh, little shout out to, uh, to Applebee's and your great employees there that are looking after their customers, uh, Erica Gonzalez. I mean, it's cool stuff. So um, that's our first story of the day. Our next hero story uh, may be even bigger um, in a way, and you may have heard of this story if I can just find it. It's a story about uh, an employee who gave up her shoes for a homeless person that didn't have shoes. Listen to this Good Samaritan story. When Kay Brown got on, uh, got on the train in Manhattan on Monday, she wasn't expecting to become a hero. But all it took was one minute and a pair of shoes to make a stranger's day. The 26-year-old nonprofit worker was on the train after work when a homeless woman got on the car wearing a light jacket and a thin shirt, no shoes. You see the subway uh, each day and you see how gross it is, all those train cars. This woman was walking out in the middle of November barefoot. Brown asked the woman what size shoes she wore, and when it turned out both of them were the same size, Brown took off her boots and gave them to the homeless woman. Something in me just said, uh, you know, it's being a human, and I had to reach out to her, Brown said, adding that the woman asked her if she was sure she wanted to part with her shoes. She was so gracious and so nice, and then she started crying and bent down and started putting them on. There was nothing I've ever felt that made me feel that good to serve somebody like that. So Kay Brown, you are the hero of the day who's willing to see the need and then just answer the call. Um, Kay then had to walk home, I think it was about six blocks to her, to her place, um, barefoot. Pretty cool stuff, folks. That's uh, what you're dealing with out there in the streets of New York. It's not all bad. There's amazing heroes everywhere and they come in many shapes and sizes. And honestly, that benefited Kay... The Good Samaritan just as much as it did the person that needed the help. That's the benefit of service is it lifts us all. That's the show, my friends. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back tomorrow. More ideas, more tools to help you find the good in the world. Take care of each other. We'll talk again tomorrow.